Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You know, the season goes on. We gotta we gotta regroup here and and, and try to find a way to get some wins without those guys. The biggest thing is just sticking together as a team, uh, making sure that we're doing that, and. Um, Guys that are going in there, going in the lineup, they're getting an opportunity to uh, play, and we need everybody just to step up. And uh, again, it's not going out there as an individual and um, trying to do it yourself. It's like making sure that the team is first, and a team—it's the team game that's going to pull us through this. I've had enough. I've had enough of this doom and gloom nonsense that you guys have been trying to spread to me over the last couple of days, Wait, all right? Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, yeah. whoa. You're just throwing us under the bus. I don't need to hear it anymore. Whoa. This fan base is better than complaining about injuries and saying, oh, we, we can't rise above. Did you just decide to be Alex today? This team has faced some adversity. They've overcome some real adversity. Their coach was fired in the middle of the season. They got to Christmas time and there was coal under the tree because they stunk. And you know what they did, Alex? What'd they do? They won the damn cup. That's what they did. Craig Berube put them in their place. They figured things out. Alex Dean went to the fourth line. Jordan Bennington rose above. He was a guy that came out of nowhere and won the cup for him. And we all celebrated. They're facing a little bit of adversity right now. In the words of Ed Reed, who down at Miami about 20 years ago said, I'm hurt, dog. Don't ask me if I'm all right. Hell no. What he said dominate, and we not doing it. I put my heart in this dog. Let's go, man. Of course they're hurt. Of course they're hurt. They got a bunch of dudes that aren't going to be available for six weeks. You know what? That's all right. That's all right. We're going to be able to overcome because Craig Berube is going to give a speech just like this. Pump it up. And the Blues are going to be fine. Pump it up here. We're here for a reason because we're a good hockey team. And we're going to come home with a cup here tonight. Let's go. Sonny, Bo, Perry, Benner. Let's go. We need a speech like that. Need one of those tonight, big guy. The Blues might be three, five, and one. Hold on, I'm not. Damn. Okay, hold on. Blues might be three, five, and one in their last nine games. I don't care. It starts now. This is when the Blues get back on track. Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson. Good morning. How you doing, buddy? I'm good to step in now, right? Go ahead. Like you're good. Like I'm fired up right now. I mean, let's let's and go, Dan Campbell style. Let's eat some kneecaps tonight, boys. (laughs) 
T-Bone, play that end of the Craig Berube speech again for me. Last five seconds of it. Come on, come on with the cup here tonight. Let's go. Sonny, Bo, Perry, Benner. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, Bo's not there. And Perry's not there. Perron? No, that's Pareko. Sonny's line, Bo, Perry, Pareko, Benner. But we, hey, we can replace hey, him with yeah, the other pair. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, we're good. It's fine. It's fine. No, you're right, BK. Look, it's next man up here, boys. This is it. This is the Blues way. Now, it's not been great. No. Nope. Adversity has punched this team in the teeth so many times. But this is what they do. This is how they overcome. You look at this and you say, okay, we don't have a lot of forwards right now. We're missing 30% of our opening night roster. We got no Colton Pareko. But you know what we do got? We got Jordan Biddington, one of the best goalies in the National Hockey League right now. You know what we do have? Justin Falk and Tory Krug, one of the top two pairings on the defensive side right now. You know what we do have? O'Reilly, Perron, Shen, Hoffman. Top guys being top guys. If I'm Craig Berube, my speech... Maybe it's not that aggressive. That only works every once in a while. That only I, I think this is the time, actually. That only works in Game 7 of a Cup Final where you know you're going to win. We're getting eerily close to a Game 7 of be. a Cup Final scenario <laughs> here. What are we at? We're at 36 games. This is like Game 1 of 36 right now in a Cup championship run. What I'm telling my team, don't worry about the LA Kings and their five-game win streak. Don't worry about all of these guys that are out of the lineup. Worry about doing your own thing. You keep it simple. Third line, fourth line, go out there and grind. Go out there and play physical. Go out there and get under the skin of the LA Kings. Top two lines, you go out there and do what you have done all season long. Create offense, make the other team pay when it comes to offensive zone pressure. That's the only thing you can do right now, and the Blues have found ways to do this. Guys, they've played without Vladimir Tarasenko, one of the top goal scorers for the last two seasons a multitude of times, and you know what they've done? They've gone out there and they've won hockey games. They've been without Schwartz. They've been without Pareko. They've been without Bo Meester. They've still won hockey games. This team's not going to be the best in the NHL, but you know what they're going to do? They're going to cause problems until they get these guys back. And when retaliation or retribution comes, that's when the Blues will make them pay. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Hey, Alex, you forgot one thing that we do have. That's hope. No, we don't. We don't believe in hope here. And according to one of the greatest movies in the history of cinematic film, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. Okay, if this isn't a quote from Miracle, we're going to have problems. And no good thing ever dies. That would be a quote from Shawshank Redemption. Oh, that's not the greatest cinematic movie ever. It is right up there. No. The Blues do have hope. And the hope comes in the form of Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron and Mike Hoffman and Braden Shin and Jordan Cairo and Tori Krug and Justin Falk and Jordan Bennington. They still have blue chip talent. Now, yeah, they're they're missing some guys as well. Some some blue chippers, some very expensive players that you would absolutely love to have on the ice right now. No doubt about it. Vladdy would be really nice. Hell, I'd settle for a Tyler Bozak right now. Be nice to have a six five unicorn on the unicorn on the back end like Colton Pareko. I'm I'm with you guys. They don't have that right now. And so for the time being, it's got to be those veterans that step up. Braden Shin, you have to play like you've never played before. Ryan O'Reilly, it's not just about the leadership right now. We need to see your best games. David Perron, Mike Hoffman, 
That gold production, let's go. It, it's go time for you guys right now. That's what you were brought in to do. And this is where the hole and oats, the power play stuff that you were talking about before the season, Alex, that's all got to take form now. The power play is as important now as it's ever been for this team because five on five is going to be tough. In fact, it needs to be tough for this team right now. They have to play five on five in a way where it looks kind of gross. It looks like an army football game where you're grinding this thing down into the ground and hoping that you get five possessions over the course of the 60 minutes. That's that's kind of what this team needs to play. Because when you're beat up like this, you want fewer possessions. You don't want a wide open hockey game. So these veterans, they've got to kind of take some form. And this is where I wanted to ask you, Alex, how do you set this up? If you're in Craig Berube's spot right now, you're putting together these lines. What do your lines look like going into tonight? Are you are you going kind of top heavy with the top two lines having all of your best dudes or are you filtering through so you have that typical four lines that you like to roll out there no you can't filter through you can't you can't even up the lines right now I think you have to go top heavy so I put these down last night I'm putting Hoffman with Shannon Cairo that's my line right now I'm moving Cairo back the experiment didn't work with O'Reilly and Perron Shannon Cairo have been just as good as Shannon Schwartz have been all season that's my line I'm putting Sanford with O'Reilly and Perron. And I know people aren't going to like to hear that because Sanford has not played well. But you know who he has played well with in his career? O'Reilly and Perron. And Sanford, who spoke yesterday, and I give the guy credit to be able to stand up there and admit failure when he has not been playing well with these turnovers. I'm putting him with O'Reilly and Perron because if he makes mistakes, O'Reilly can help with that. Perron can help with that. I'm putting Sammy Blay with Oscar Sundquist and Austin Paganski. You know what that line is for me, BK? That's the pissed off line. That's a line that I think if if you're Craig Berube and you can have a conversation with before the game, you go out there and you piss off that defense and that goaltender. Get in their faces. Go throw that extra body. Move the puck around. Cycle the puck. Be difficult to get it off of your stick. And I'm not moving the fourth line because the fourth line, frankly, was one of your better lines the other night. It's Clifford, it's De La Rosa, McEachern. That's how I'm stacking this lineup tonight. I am going top heavy. I'm putting Sanford back with a line that has gotten the best out of him in the past. And I'm using my third and fourth line to play the way that Craig Bruby needs them to play. So good timing for us. The Blues are on the ice right now. Craig Berube has sent out the lines and Luke Korak has tweeted them out for us. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. It's 1110. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I hope my text went to Lou to make sure he tweeted the right lines out. You were very close. Oh, okay. They put Sammy Blay on that top line with O'Reilly and Perron. Basically, they flipped Blay and Sanford compared to yours. But they do have Mike Hoffman on the left wing with Shin and Kairou. They've got Sanford with Sonny and Pagansky, and then that fourth line is unchanged. Clifford, De La Rose, and McEachern, as you said that it should be. I'm okay with that. I think Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford are interchangeable. Sammy Blay brings pretty much what Zach Sanford should bring with aggressiveness, forecheck. It's the puck hound, right? He's the Ivan Barbashev right now. Sanford's good to put with Oscar Sundquist because, look, Oscar Sundquist is mixer fix, Mr. Fix-It in Craig Berube's eyes. So I think Sundquist can kind of bring that presence with Sanford and Pugansky. So I'm okay with those two, but I'm glad that he put Hoffman and Kyrou back with Shen because Shen was silent these last couple of games, although he was doing things. 
He was silent on the score sheet, and he has been at his best when he has had Jordan Cairo on his line. On the defensive pairing side of things, you've got Krug with Falk, no surprise there. Dunn is with Bortuzzo as your second pairing defenseman. And then your third pairing with Gunnarsson out right now. Mikula getting another shot in the lineup. Scandella on the right side. So you got Mikula and Scandella as your third defensive pairings going into tonight. I actually like the look of that. You've got a couple of dudes that are kind of vintage blues defensemen. A little bigger, a little more size, hopefully a little bit more shut down defensive pairing there. I think that's kind of what they're going for with uh, Gunnarsson out of the lineup now, for the time being. I'm no superstar defenseman like our boy Jamie Rivers. I'm not Craig Berube. I actually would have done Mikola with Bortuzzo and done with Marco Scandella because both have the opportunity then to kind of jump up into play and create offense. Mikola can do that. Vince Dunn would be able to do that with a guy like Scandella. But I see where they're going with this. You put Mikola with the vet in Zach Sa- or in uh, Marco Scandella. Dunn and Bortuzzo have played well together. And so Scandella's I get it. has been a little bit more involved offensively than I expected, especially since moving over to that right side. Yeah. He, yeah. He mentioned before games, this was just, probably three or four games ago now, he mentioned before the game and the pregame uh, interviews that he likes being on that right side because he is able to be a little bit more involved. And I think we've seen a little bit of that from him. So it'll be be fun to see if he's able to get involved offensively tonight. That game pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario, Blues versus Kings, begins tonight at 7.30. It's a late one on the TV side. It's on NBC Sports Network. You will have your typical Blues analysts and play-by-play guys on that. Darren Payne going to join us coming up at 1130. Coming up next, I want to get into the Blues because I thought Harris, or excuse me, into the Cardinals. Take two. What do we just do here? I want to get into the Cardinals because Harrison Bader made a great point about the Cardinals organizational belief in its young outfield yesterday. Play what he had to say for you and why winning a gold glove is super meaningful to Harrison Bader. We'll do it all coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Yeah, I mean, it means a lot. Matt Wieters, he had a really good quote. It's always stuck with me. And he's always said, you know, does confidence get you hits or do hits get you confidence? And when I think about that, you know, in my opinion, it comes from within. And, you know, it comes from how you wake up in the morning, how you go to sleep, how you go and prepare, how you get ready to go out there and compete. So when, when you have that piece of yourself confident and then you kind of add that organizational piece where they say, listen, we're, we're confident what we got. We're ready to go out there and, and win a World Series with this club. I mean, I can't imagine feeling any better. That was Harrison Bader yesterday talking on the Zoom media availability about the confidence that the organization has given to these young outfielders by, I mean, let's be honest, trading away Dexter Fowler and then not signing somebody from the outside to be able to take one of these spots with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. I feel like we can all relate to that, right? I mean, if you're in any, any business and your boss is telling you consistently, yeah, yeah, yeah. We think the world of what you can bring to the table. If you're in sales or whatever you do for a living, your boss can tell you all of these reassuring things until they actually show you with whether it be a pay raise or a promotion or giving you an opportunity that is significant. All of that is just words. All of that is just talk. What we're seeing now is action. We are seeing the Cardinals completely buy into what these young outfielders are going to do. They are... 
basically saying, hey, here's a promotion. Here's the money. We believe you can do this job. Now go do it. And now it's up to guys like Dylan Carlson and Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill to be able to do that job, Lane Thomas as well. But I, I think if you're Harrison Bader, you've got to be going into this season with more confidence that you've had at any point in your career that it's your job, it's your opportunity, and now I have to go claim that job. Does it remind you a little bit of what Colton Wong went through? Absolutely, 100%. That's that's exactly what I was thinking of when you were just saying that, was Colton Wong with the Mike Matheny syndrome where he didn't have two good games, and so he's on the bench for a week. And then you give him a chance again, and the guy's confidence is shook. So he never really takes that role until Mike Schilt takes over. And Mike Schilt basically says, you're our second baseman. Win, lose, strike out, home run, you're in there every day. And what happens? Colton Wong has one of his best years offensively with the Cardinals. I don't know if that's going to happen with Harrison Bader because I feel like we've learned a lot from Harrison when it comes to his offensive production and where he is with this team. Joey always references it though, and I and I hate to tie it into hockey, but it's what I'm what I'm, I'm I hear so much when you have the coach's respect and trust, and every time you go out there, whether you're good or bad, they continue to say you're our guy, you're our guy. The only thing you're going to do is play better. If you're making mistakes and always looking over your shoulder like, man, am I going to get sat? Am I not going to get the play? You're never going to be able to to go out there and push for your full potential. So I think now, if I'm Harrison Bader, I feel all of that trust because you not only moved on from Dexter Fowler, but you have said this is the group that we feel comfortable in. We didn't get Jock Peterson. We didn't go get Eddie Rosario. We didn't go find somebody that's going to platoon with you, Harrison. You're our everyday center fielder. If you got it, get it. If not, somebody's going to take the job from you. And I think that's what's going to benefit. So maybe we do get a Colton Wong season out of Harrison Bader. I hope so. The other thing that I hope happens is similar to Colton Wong. I hope there's a greater appreciation for what Harrison Bader does. And it has less to do with him taking another step or anything like that. And more to do with the position that he's going to be in. Harrison Bader is a good player. Like the reason why Mike Petriello, this was a few weeks ago now, says uh, tweets out that the Mets should look at acquiring Harrison Bader if they couldn't go get Jackie Bradley Jr. or another center fielder is because he does certain things really, really well. He hits left-handed pitchers incredibly well. He is super successful against those guys. He is an unbelievable defensive player in center field, one of the better defensive center fielders in the game. But so often we f- we fixate on what he can't do, and it kind of blinds us to the things that he does do. And this is something that is in the Bill Belichick scouting department. This is one of their organizational philosophies whenever they go into the NFL draft. He'll basically tell his scouts, I don't want to hear what a guy cannot do. Do not tell me what his weaknesses are. I'll figure that out. Tell me what he can do. What specific role can he fill? How does he help us win games? If I've got a defensive tackle that you're scouting, that's really bad against the run. Don't tell me that part. Tell me the part about how he is one of the better pass rushers in this year's draft. And if we use him on third down exclusively, he can be a, be a guy that helps us get to the quarterback. I bring that back to Harrison Bader because we focus so much on that. He can't hit right-handed pitching. Well, but what he does really well is he hits lefties and he's incredibly well-versed defensively in center field. That's a really valuable player to have. The Rays just went to the World Series with somebody very similar in Kevin Kiermeyer. 
So with the addition of Nolan Arenado, with Dylan Carlson hopefully taking that next step this year, with Paul DeYoung, I, fingers crossed, having a better second half and you extend that lineup a little bit, now you get to that eighth spot in the lineup and you've got Harrison Bader coming up and you're not holding your breath quite as much because it's not the end of the world if that guy doesn't come up and get a hit. And I think that's something that I hope starts to turn a little bit for the fan base this year as we appreciate what he does as opposed to knocking him so much for what he can't do. I just hope it's it's I hope we're beyond the looking at Harrison Bader as a savior for this team because oh, sure. for so long it was well you got rid of Stephen Piscotty for this guy, you got rid of Randall Gritchick for this guy. Well, let's see what you are. And for so long it felt like Harrison Bader had to be the power hitter, the on-base hitter, the middle of the order bat, the bat that saved things. Now it's to the point where he's a complimentary piece. And I think that's the important factor here. It was the same thing with Colton Wong for so long. I was about to say, because remember early on with Colton, it was like, man, this guy could be a real power hitter. Yeah. He hit 12 homers in his first year as an everyday player, had a uh, a couple of seasons with multi, uh, double-digit homers. Yeah. And that just never came around. And it was like, oh, this is super disappointing. No, he's a gold-glove defensive second baseman. Right. Uh, just appreciate that part of it. And eventually, Cardinals fans did. And, and they came around on him and... This offseason, I think people were pretty disappointed that he's not back. Yeah, well, and look, and then it went from the power hitter for Colton Wong to the leadoff hitter for Colton Wong. Well, why can't he be the leadoff guy? Get on base more. You're striking out too much. You're not making enough contact. That's not what he is. He's a complimentary piece to a team that has the other pieces to go out and push for a World Series, and they never amassed to that. Now you have the same with Harrison Bader, where you don't have to look at him as, well, he needs to be a leadoff guy, or he needs to be the two-hole hitter, he needs to be stealing 25 bases and hitting 25 bombs. No, he needs to be a solid eight or nine hole hitter for you. He needs to be a complimentary piece to a championship caliber team. And he needs to be a gold glove defensive player. If he is all of those things, you have exactly what you need to compete with the other teams in the National League. If it's more, great. If it's less, then you have a problem. I agree with you. That's exactly what he needs to be because that's what he is. I mean... He got put in the tough spot of, like you said, trading away Piscotty and Gritchick, guys that were offensive-minded outfielders. And let's not forget those those Sunday blue jerseys that he was sporting out down at Ballpark Village, the Victory Blues. The, that's another piece of this that gets brought up so often, and it's unfair to him, but that's another piece of this as well, as he was it, sold by the organization as probably being a little bit more than he is. And I never understood that, why people took that so much, because like it, he was he was a young player. He was... He was flashy. He was one of the best defenders in the league that year. They didn't put him in the powder blues out there at Ballpark Village. I was at that press conference. They didn't put him out there by selling him as like, look, this is the next billboard for he the was Cardinals. Available. He said yes. Yes. <laughs> he was available in the offseason to be like, hey, Harrison, can you come here and be the, you know, Jersey guy for us? Like, I never understood why people said, oh, well, he's wearing the powder blues at Ballpark Village. He must be the next big thing. Yeah, he was just been put in this unfortunate situation. Like you said, he was the available guy. And when the offense struggled, it just went to him, which is unfair because it was unrealistic to think that he was going to be a 3-4, be the guy that could help the offense because he is the complimentary piece. He is the eighth place hitter. He is the ninth place hitter for DH. But he's so good defensively that he helps you so much because he's probably, and maybe this is a bit of a stretch, plays the second most important defensive position, if not the first, in center field. Because you could argue shortstop's number one. And he's so good at it. And that's why he's so important to the franchise. Because you have that center fielder that, 
I don't want to say sign him to an extension, but you have that guy that could be the centerpiece, could be the guy that is your center fielder for the next five years in your organization, which is huge. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, Colton Wong is an unfair comparison. He's a much better hitter than Harrison Bader is. The stats do not back that, that up. Over the last three years, Colton Wong, and I'm basically looking at since Harrison Bader has become a regular in the big leagues. That, that's why I cut it off at three years. Over the last three years, Colton Wong has a 742 OPS, 742 for Colton Wong. Harrison Bader is at 727. Colton Wong's been better, sure, by about 10 points. That's not enough for me to say that one is significantly better than the other. Now, Colton Wong does things that I prefer as a hitter. He gets on base at a really high level. He doesn't strike out at the same rate as Harrison Bader does. So his profile is something that aesthetically I prefer Mm -hmm. from a baseball player, but it's not like he's this otherworldly hitter and Harrison Bader is a guy that can't hit past the Mendoza line. It's it's not that big of a drop-off. I did want to play one thing. Harrison Bader I thought was really great yesterday in terms of the introspection that he had talking about what it would mean to him to be able to win a gold glove this season and why that is his goal for the 2021 season. Yeah, man, I think we could be really, really successful. And, and the gold glove thing, it's more of just like a standard, you know? It's a standard of, of how you go about your craft in the outfield. It's a standard of how you go about your preparation. It's a standard of how you go about everything in the middle. You know, this game is, there's no secret to success. A lot of it is repetition. Um, so going out there, keeping a really good routine, you know, on defense, that gold glove standard, that platinum standard, guys, you know, Arenado's won a bunch. Yachty's obviously won a bunch. It's it's more about the standard of what it means to, to go about there and go about your business of your craft. And, uh, you know, that's a standard I'm shooting for. And I know that this defense is capable of winning a bunch. So when you kind of pair all three of our ability. That's what you want to hear from your center fielder. Basically saying like that talking about the organization and how important defense is here to the Cardinals talking about what it's going to take to be able to get to that gold glove caliber of a player. And I think Harrison Bader can absolutely get there this season. If this team is as good as we believe defensively, he's going to get a lot of talk about being a gold glove center fielder. And if that ends up being the case, be pretty happy. I think with what he brings to the table in 2021. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, Darren Pang, Blues analyst for Fox Sports Midwest. And tonight for NBC Sports is going to join the show. How do the Blues overcome these injuries? We'll talk about it with Darren Pang coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the game has been sort of agonizing over moving on from Tiger for six to eight years, frankly. You know, there's been this this thought of, you know, there needs to be, uh, build, you need to build an audience beyond Tiger. And that's easier said than done because he's just such a transformational figure. Um, guys like him don't come along but once a generation or so. It's always managed to survive just fine. It's just that you're talking about a guy who, you know, actually transcended golf, you know, and sports. He was popular beyond the sport. I was Bob Herrig earlier today on the morning show with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. A little bit of moving things around. Darren Payne going to be joining us coming up at 1215. He's in a talk right now with the Blues coach Craig Berube. So we'll talk with Darren Payne coming up at 1215. But right now, let's talk about the biggest story, uh, frankly, in all of sports right now. And 
honestly, in the country right now. And that's Tiger Woods with the wreck that he had yesterday, the one one car crash. There was a statement, as you heard from Tanner Hendrickson, from Tiger Woods camp last night. They said Tiger Woods suffered significant orthopedic injury, orthopedic rather injuries to his right lower extremity that were treated during emergency surgery by trauma specialists. Um, he had open fractures affecting both the upper and lower portion of the tibia and fibula bones. Those were stabilized by inserting a rod into the tibia. Additional injuries to the bones of the foot and ankle were stabilized with a combination of screws and pins. Trauma to the muscle and soft tissue of the leg required surgical release of the covering of the muscles to relieve pressure due to swelling. Again, that came straight from the Tiger Woods camp late, late last night. That was the latest update that we really have on this. I mean, the only injury that I can think of, and i talking and reading as much as I could over the last 12, 24 hours or so about this, it seems like this is the closest thing that you can get to it is what happened to Alex Smith. And this is really significant injuries that are that are out there right now for Tiger Woods. And guys, you saw this on CNN last night. It was on Fox News. It was on ESPN. Any news channel that you had, it was one of the top stories on the local news even last night. Tiger Woods transcends sports unlike just about any other athlete that I can remember in my lifetime. And that's dating back to the early 90s. I mean, you've got Michael Jordan, LeBron, Kobe. I think Serena, for me, probably is up in this category as well in terms of American sports. I'm not sure there are many other athletes, though, that are in this same category, that if something like this were to happen, it becomes not just a sports story that we're covering on the station or that ESPN is talking about throughout the day, but that CNN breaks into breaking news coverage all day long to be able to cover Tiger Woods in what is, unfortunately, yet another crash for him. Yeah, well, and, you know, I I was watching the news stories last night, and the only thing I could think of is, and again, these are two very different things because, of course, Kobe passed away, but you're thinking of Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. When the helicopter crash happened, it wasn't just ESPN. It was every outlet that was talking about it. I mean, Bob Costas is coming on news stations discussing this. Every single person And that's what you have right now with Tiger Woods. And thank God that he is okay and it's not life-threatening. It's just a matter of a lot of surgeries and a long road back. But it's one of those things that changes the outlook on sports, right? Like, it it changes your view on his impact. Whereas before it was, yeah, this, this, this man is incredible at the game of golf. And you say the name Tiger Woods, you know what you're talking about. But you also take for granted the fact that you have Tiger Woods around, right? Until something like this happens. And then you're like, man, what is going to what, what is this going to be without Tiger Woods right now? Now, again, luckily he is alive. He is well, as much as you can be well, yep. where this is not life-threatening. But you also have to come to the conclusion of you might not see him play golf again, which is hard to fathom the and, comeback story is no longer about golf now that now it's bigger than that yeah for, the for come Tiger. the comeback story it is exactly like alex smith the comeback story is a matter of can he just get back to normal and, and i mean look they've been showing so many videos of tiger woods the most recent outing where he was with his son playing golf that's mm-hmm. the first thing you're thinking of you're thinking of his family and what they're going through but then as a fan you're also thinking what is this going to be like now without tiger woods to where you sit golf you watch golf you're watching the masters when it's warm out and you're enjoying it 
but there's no Tiger Woods a part of it, and it changes an awful lot when you get into that discussion. Yeah, I know there's probably a lot of fans that are similar to me. That I mean, the answer is you're just not going to be watching. Like, t- Tiger is golf. For mm-hmm. people, especially our age, Alex, the, the sport of golf was let's go watch Tiger Woods on a Sunday at the Masters, like, like a Sunday at any of the majors. That That's what the sport became. And for better or worse, I mean, there are a lot of – reasons to believe that that ended up like for the long-term outlook of the sport potentially being a little bit harmful for for the sport of golf but that's kind of what it's become and I think back to the PGA championship here in St. Louis and I I've thought a lot about this especially over the last day or so I think it's the greatest sporting event that I've ever been to. Did did you guys have an opportunity to go to that? I think it was 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. The PG, you were at the PGA Mm -hmm. championship. Were you at the Sunday? Yeah. I was there pretty much that whole weekend. It was unbelievable. I mean, the the buzz that surrounded tiger, you could, you could walk around a lot, um, especially on Sunday, you could walk around with um, Brooks Kepka Mm -hmm. on that final round. And you were one of a few hundred people. That were watching Kepka because everybody, everybody was watching the story that was unfolding. That was Tiger Woods comeback because he wasn't going to end up winning that day. There was almost no route to do so, especially on the back nine. But it felt like the question of could Tiger actually do this? Could he actually win another major? It was starting to shift to, yeah, I think he might be able to actually do this. And so there was a buzz Unlike anything that I've ever seen before at a sporting event, and it was my first golf outing to be able to go to, my first major for sure. And so it was, there was scoreboard watching, unlike anything that I've seen, because it's such a different thing going to a golf event than being at a a baseball or a football game where it's kind of in the moment. It was incredible. And Mm -hmm. so to be able to be there with thousands of your closest friends for that 12 hour period on that Sunday. It it was it was as cool as I've seen any sort of a a sporting event on any individual day. Yeah, I mean, look, he he's the guy that that got people into the game of golf. You know, like I mean, me personally, ever I started playing golf when I was younger in high school, and that was kind of at the peak of Tiger Woods. But that was also like I want to be Tiger Woods, right? Like that's what somebody like this does. And think about the names that have come along since Tiger Woods at his peak. I mean, you have Phil Mickelson, you have Rory McIlroy, you have Dustin John, all of these guys. Yeah, all of these guys have had incredible careers up to this point, but they can't even touch Tiger Woods. You can't ask a common person who Dustin Johnson is. They're not going to give you the same response as a Tiger Woods. And I don't know if you'll ever get to that, which is why this is such a tough news day, but also... It puts it into perspective how meaningful something like this is in t- not just into your into your life, but into your to your entertainment purposes. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line from the three one four guys. If Tiger comes back again from this injury, he's going to go down as one of those legendary athletes of all time, and he already kind of is. He he's definitely already an all time great athlete. Like this, he doesn't need to come back from this to be able to secure that legacy. That's already there for him. What I would say, though, is that adding this onto the storyline, like Tiger is a uniquely American story, not a sports story, a uniquely American story. He was a child star. He was on his his first ever TV appearance was when he was two years old. He was swinging a golf club on NBC two years old. They were showing him as the next golf phenom. Right. Think about that. Two years old. And he was doing that. 
So you've got the child stardom angle to it. He ends up at the age of 18, breaking on to the tour and becoming unlike anything we had ever seen before. Then he had the period of dominance where in a purely sports sense, he was dominating the headlines. Then you have the salacious headlines and the first um, TMZification of Tiger's life with uh, the Perkin or the uh, the waitress that mm-hmm. all, all of that stuff. Then you have the comeback from that, and he's able to come back onto the golf thing. And then you have the first crash, and you've got the comeback from that again. And so it's just and you got the back injuries and the comeback from that. It's it's everything. You it's all encompassing, and it's an American story even more so than it is a sports story. And it continues because now you once again have something that if he's able to come back from this and. I'm not putting anything past Tiger at this point. I know it's it's going to be a hell of a road for him. But given what he's already come back from, if he's able to come back from this as well, I mean, that's, that's unbelievable to me. It, it, it's unfathomable. But this is one of the greatest athletes already that we've ever seen. And one more, one more comeback from something like this, God, it 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 would be unbelievable. It would it'd be one of the greatest moments that we could possibly see in, in any sort of a golf tournament. I can tell you this too that if that does happen, that's going to change the that's going to change the view of golf. If you get something like that in terms of a comeback, like that is going to bring everyone for that tournament. For that tournament, yes, but I think it's also going to bring kind of a a different vibe or view of Tiger Woods, because I think there's this little in between right now for Tiger Woods of everything that he's gone through on top of his golf career. It changes all of the perception of Tiger Woods, in my opinion, if he does make that comeback. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, the air comfort service tax line from the three, one, four guys. What exactly did Tiger come back from before sleeping with a hundred women? Come on now. I think we have to keep in mind mentally what fame and all of that brings with it. Um, and so I'm not trying to like make Tiger into some sort of hero or anything, but he was dealing with some stuff mentally. I mean, you, you, there's there's books out there that are about this. And I remember the famous saying from Michael Jordan was, you might want to be me for a day. You might want to be me for a week. You might even want to be me for a month. You don't want to be me forever. And I, I read a quote uh, o- overnight from, I believe it was Rory was talking about Tiger and this was early in Rory's time on on the tour he went down to hang out with Tiger Woods and Rory just said you know let, let's go grab a bite to eat and Tiger was like no nah, man I I can't do that like that's not something that I'm able to go do and Rory was confused and he was like what do you mean like we can just go grab a bite to eat at, at a local restaurant we just grab something and we'll come right back and Tiger was like no I I literally can't go out in public like that because it's going to take us too long to be able to eat and then to be able to come back home. It's just a different kind of fame that I can't comprehend myself, and I'm not sure how anybody could, honestly. And so there's certain people that can relate to that, and I, I just can't. But he, he's had plenty of people, plenty of stuff that he's had to overcome in his career, whether it be off-field, on-field, injuries, mentally, physically. It's everything. It's all of that. And now he's got one more thing that hopefully he's going to be able to add to that list. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Coming up next, let's get into some questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six 
65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 618. Kind of continuing our conversation about Tiger. Guys, does having one player like Jordan, Tiger, Gretzky, Brady dominate a sport help or hurt the sport? Because to me, it seems like when those guys leave, there's a huge problem to be trying to replace those players. Jeter, for me, never even got to those levels. It's an interesting question. I think it is good for the sport to have guys that reach that level because even today, we fetishize guys like Jordan and Gretzky, Tiger, Brady. Like those guys are just, they become even bigger than the sport itself. So I think it's good for the sport. Now where the problem comes in is when you get to the end, whether it be Jordan or Tiger, Brady in some ways, I don't know that he ever got truly here, but when it feels like it's inevitable that that player is going to be the one that rises above, that can get old and that can turn off some fans. But I think having, whether you see them as the villain or the guy that you're rooting for, I think that's always good for sports. Especially when it comes to these guys, when you think of the sport, you think of that player and, you know, look, I mean, Gretzky, nobody will ever touch Gretzky's numbers. But it's good for the sport because you're always going to have somebody come along that's going to compete with it. Alex Ovechkin right now is trying to accomplish the goal record of most goals in the National Hockey League that is set by Wayne Gretzky. Patrick Mahomes, everyone's talking about can Mahomes be the next Tom Brady? You get those in sports, and I think that's where the entertainment factor comes in because you want to see what that career looks like compared to the guy that you just watched. You're going back and you're saying, man, we're never going to see a guy like Wayne Gretzky until this guy comes along. Could he do it, right? Like that was Sidney Crosby's career at the beginning. That's Connor McDavid's career right now. Is he the next Gretzky? Mm -hmm. You follow along with it, and I think it brings that entertainment value into the sport. I think it's better for your top four sports here in america the nhl the nfl nba and mlb because there's more of a following and then there's when the guy is gone then you get the fun of the comparison of oh who's going to get there i think for your smaller sports like golf we're not talking about golf these past 20 years if there's no tiger woods let's be honest we're not so to me it's going to be harder for golf to stay i don't know if relevance the word but when tiger's gone it's going to be much harder to have the conversation of well who's going to replace tiger because it almost is you have to have someone that is Tiger well, to replace. Nobody replaces Tiger the way that nobody replaces Jordan. Right. It, it, they are their own entities, and they are unlike anything we have ever seen and probably unlike anything we ever will see in the sport. So we have to keep that in the back of our mind. The other thing that frustrates me when we have this conversation about Tiger and replacing Tiger and all that, you're right, Tanner, that I, I do think golf will find itself out of the headlines as much, but golf hasn't really been in the headlines. It never was about golf. It was about Tiger. People talked about Tiger because he transcended the sport in which he was playing. And so will golf be discussed on first take? No, probably not. But golf was never discussed on first take. Like if you're a golf fan, you are going to first take for your golf discussion. They were talking about Tiger Woods and could he have the comeback? And the, so it it will be pretty much the same thing that it is now. Golf has a massive fan base, a massive following that is not going to change whether Tiger is there or not. But the random person that'll tune in on a Sunday if Tiger's in contention, that's going to be the thing that changes. I do think, though, there's always going to be somebody that comes along that that sparks interest, right? Like DeChambeau was that guy for a little bit of time sure. because of the guy that could drive the ball as far as he could. And frankly, you, you, you see people now that are wanting to be different golfers. You know, before it was Tiger Woods. Now you're seeing people want to drive the ball as far as DeChambeau. You're always going to have Brooks somebody. Kepko was that way exactly. for a little bit. You're always going to get somebody who's going to come in and, and spark interest. It's 
it's that long-term interest, which that's going to be the hard part when it comes to golf because it's an individual sport. That's what I was going to say. You can't just be a spark. It has to be something that continues long-term, and that's what you've had with Tiger Woods. The little spark is fine, but, you know, you want it to continue. If it just happens and it's there and then all of a sudden it's gone, then it's almost... You know, nothing happened basically. Right. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 314. We got to talk about it, guys. What do we got to talk about? Guys, what happened to the Mizzou basketball team? Oh. Do you think there's a <laughs> chance that Conzo Martin is gone next year? It seems like he has lost a lot of the fans. Well, no, I don't think Conzo's gone next year. Let's start with this part and then we'll get into what don't happened. Don't sound to so Mizzou. sad about it. I'm very no, God, sad. You about sound it. like me after that loss on Monday. Oh, it's brutal, man. Um, so Jim Sterk spoke with the media yesterday before last night's game that went very poorly for Mizzou and said that they expect to get an extension done with Conzo Martin. Should that extension be getting done right now? That is open for debate. I would say no. I would say I would wait until after next year to do an extension like that. The problem is if you do that, if you wait and he gets interest elsewhere and decides to jump ship, do you have somebody readily available that would want to take the job that would either be an upgrade or at least be a lateral move for Mizzou? I What's think the Anderson answer to that is no. Okay, stop that. <laughs> Second of all, what happened? <laughs> if you wait until after next year, I think next year is going to be real rough for Mizzou. It, the roster that they could could have coming back next season is pretty bad. So I don't think that Conzo Martin is going to be interested in waiting until then. So I do get why you have to make this move. Now, as for what happened to Mizzou basketball, Alex, let's start with you. What do you think has happened with Mizzou basketball? Because that ain't a fun question to answer either. <laughs> I don't even know what's happened to this team because four weeks ago, we were talking about this team being an elite eight competitor. Um, And it was fair. And it, it was, was fair. Real. You know, I guess the first thing you got to question is, did COVID really impact this team? I mean, I don't know how much it went through that roster, but I think not much like that. They, they were only out for like, like what a week. Game. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, this this comes down to me to one player and it's been Jeremiah Tillman. Like, I, I remember saying it to you when they were doing all of their winning, BK. They're as good as Jeremiah Tillman is going to take them to. And the amount of games that he missed because of a death in the family. Yeah. And then when he returned, he just didn't seem like the same player. When you don't have that, you don't have depth in the middle of the court, which is if Mizzou doesn't have that, they really don't have anything because they're such a fluky three point shooting oh, team. Three point shooting is awful. That, that's <laughs> their game. That's their game though. Like one night they're going to, 60% of the three-pointers, and they're going to win. So the next night, they're going to hit 6% of the three-pointers, and they're going to get killed. So the guy that personifies all of this is Xavier Pinson. I don't know what's happened. I don't. I can't explain it he to you. He got like the BKO'd when he joined us. I, <laughs> I don't get it. Xavier Pinson in his last seven games is shooting 37% from the field. He is shooting 29% from three-point range. He's averaging two free throws per, per game in that span. He was one of their... I mean, inarguably one of their three best players in the first half of the season. You could make a strong case, their second best player behind Jeremiah Tillman, and he's been terrible the last seven games. Yeah. And I don't understand it, and I don't like criticizing young kids. I think it's a little unfair to do so, but man, it's been ugly. And if they're going to be able to make any sort of run, it's going to come 
with Xavier Pinson finding himself, and it just hasn't happened lately for him. Can I just be honest with you guys for a second? Uh, Be careful because BK might not be able to take this. Oh, BK may want to sit down for this. Honestly, I think Mizzou just got hot at the right time. All right, cut Got up Mike. to the 10 cut spot. Cut his mic. Get I don't think I, Mizzou is not that good a team. What are you saying? They're not a, they weren't a top 10 AP team? No, they were. But I wonder if, A, they were hot, and B, with all the COVID that's happened and all these programs that have been down because of it, I think Mizzou would just happen to be hot and in on the right time. They are not a good team. They are not a sweet 16 team. I'm done with you. I mean, they have lost four of their last five games, so he makes a fair (laughs) point. To a weak SEC. Um, Yeah. Shots fired from T-Bone. He's right. Two of those four losses are against Ole Miss, who is not very good. One of those is against Georgia, which is the most inexcusable loss that is on their resume currently. I don't understand it. What the hell happened from your pump up speech at the beginning of the show for the blues? Where is that for Mizzou? I don't have the energy for Mizzou. (laughs) I don't have it. I'm I'm a beaten down grumpy old man right now. All I do is I love BK's tweets during Mizzou games at BK sports talk at Ferrari 101 ESPN. Just BK. He starts from like, okay, let's see what this team's got. And just by the end of that basketball game, it is just a destroyed human being. All I could muster up (laughs) last night. I don't even know what to say about Mizzou basketball anymore. That's where I'm at. I don't know. I, I'm throwing my hands up in the air. They were supposed to be really good. I think this is a good team. They have talent. Jeremiah Tillman's awesome. Xavier Pinson, super talented. Drew Smith is one of the better two-way guards in the country. I don't get it. When they want to I can't be. explain it. By I the way, know. 314, is Tanner an Illini or a KU fan? He's got to be a KU fan, right? Just a slew guy? No, no. No, he no. doesn't like slew either. I'm an Illini guy. Oh, that, oh, that explains there everything. There we go. Just with decided Ferrari, to jump on board Tanner with the guy with the best player. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, Brad Thompson said something fascinating on the fast lane yesterday. I'll let you hear what he had to say and what it means for the Cardinals rotation. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The Cardinals will win the division if Jack Flaherty is an ace. Because I think that they need that. You look at this Cardinals pitching staff, and they have a lot of depth. And they're going to be just fine. They'll be able to piece it together. But you need an ace. Like, come postseason time, like you need that guy that you know you're going to hand the ball to, and he's going to shove against the opponent. And I know Jack can be that guy. That was BT on the fast lane yesterday talking about how the Cardinals win the division. I think it's a really interesting discussion surrounding Jack Flaherty. We've talked about this a little bit before, guys, but I think he's right in that Jack Flaherty needs to be an ace, not just for this Cardinals team to be really good this year, but also I find it really interesting what he had to say about the playoffs there as well. You look out in the National League right now, we've talked so much about how the Cardinals lineup compares to the Padres or we don't really try to talk about it with the Dodgers, but the Braves. (laughs) We've done the comparisons between these lineups, right? The rotations are every bit as important. I mean, you get into a seven-game series against the Mets right now, going up against Jacob deGrom in that first game. You go up against the Dodgers, you've got Walker Buehler to be able to match up against. Uh, you go up against the Padres, whoever their first game starter is. Maybe it'll be you, Darvish, and you've got to figure out how you you solve that. What's matching up against him? Well, Jack Flaherty, I feel good about that. If Jack Flaherty is an underdog against any of these guys, because the lineup, I think you can make a case, is similar to some of these other teams, but there's an argument against that. There's an argument that they're a little lesser than. 
you're going to at the very minimum need to be able to match up head to head against those guys come playoff time. And Jack Flaherty is your best opportunity to do exactly that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it goes beyond the winning the NL Central with Jack Flaherty. I think if Jack Flaherty's an ace, you can compete for a World Series. That's what J.P. Morosi had told us a couple weeks ago from MLB Network. I think also if Jack Flaherty's performing as an ace, it lessens the blow of the question in terms of depth in the rotation, right? Because if he's not your ace, then you're looking at everyone to be a two guy, a three guy, a four guy. Everyone has to take a leap forward. It's like your lineup the last few years. Exactly. If Jack Flaherty is your ace... Well, then that puts a a KK as your number two, and we're fine with that because KK looked like an ace at times last season, which makes Michaelis your three. And if Michaelis is anything like he was in his first couple seasons with the Cardinals, that's perfect. And then the four and then the five. So Jack Flaherty being an ace goes beyond the NL Central for me. I think they have a great shot at winning the NL Central. Jack Flaherty has to be an ace if you even want to use the word World Series with the Cardinals in the same sentence. That's a good point. I actually think this is more important for the playoffs than it is the regular season. You can get through the regular season with Jack Flaherty not getting up to 180, 200 innings with them being able to use the full depth of this pitching staff and making it through 162 however they can, piecing it together with uh, duct tape and bubble gum, right? You, you can find a way to do it that way. But once you get into the playoffs and you're going up against these other elite teams in the National League, you need that guy that's going to be on the mound for sure in game number one and if needed in game number four and if possible in game number seven as well. That's what the Mets have in DeGrom. The Dodgers have that in Walker Bueller. You, you look out to the Padres, they've got that in you, Darvish. The Cardinals need to be able to say once they get to the playoffs that they have that in Jack Flaherty. That's how they reach their peak. I agree. Flaherty has to be an ace in the playoffs to help you in the playoffs. Not so much the regular season, but looking at it also with the rotation, I think you have to have someone step up and be ace caliber as a two, or at least a really solid two. Because you look at some of these, you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Mets, and you look at the Padres. That's three teams that you look at their rotation, you go, they've got two guys that are basically number ones that you would trust to start in a World Series. I look at the Cardinals and I go, you know, they might have that but I don't know who it is. So, uh, yes, it's very important for Flaherty to step up, but I don't know if you have that, too, and I think that's going to be the killer looking at this Cardinals team looking postseason. Can I tell you the difference, though, between those teams and the Cardinals? It is the bullpen. And when you get to October and you're playing those games, I need an ace because I've got to have at least a day in that seven-game series where my bullpen's getting a little bit of a rest and hopefully my starter can go seven and I can just lock it down at the back end. When I get into that game two and that game three, maybe even in that game four, you better believe I'm attacking it from all different angles, all different velocities with all different kinds of arms. My number two starter in the playoffs next year for this team might go three innings. My number three starter might go three innings. My number four starter, if necessary, might also go two or three innings. Especially if John Gant and Alex Reyes are dealing well, you, I mean, just look at the options that this team could have, right? Mm-hmm. You've got Reyes, you've got Cabrera, you've got Gant, Hicks, Helsley. I mean, the, the list, Miller, the list goes on and on and on of guys that you trust. And so you look at kind of a, if, if you look at this in basically three-game windows, you just stack it up where you've got Jack Flaherty in that first one, and then you go back-to-back with a couple other relievers. You go into that second one, and you throw six arms, and then you have six more that go in that next game. You can piece this thing together with your bullpen in a way that other teams cannot. As much as we're talking about 
having that ace. And I agree with you, Tanner. You do have to have somebody that steps up and fill the void, fills the void of of Dakota Hudson. Like, and I think KK can be that guy. Michaelis can be that guy. But you need somebody who can step up into that role. This is much on a guy like Jack Flaherty being an ace as much as it's this offense being top 10 in the National League. I mean, we can talk about the battles of Walker Bueller and Jack Flaherty and Clayton Kershaw against KK. That doesn't matter if the guys on the offensive side aren't hitting the ball. I think with a Dodgers lineup, with a Padres lineup, it's not going to be an easy challenge, but it will be something that I think the Cardinals can handle in terms of their pitching depth and their bullpen like we spoke of. But all of that doesn't matter. Your pitcher could give up two runs, but if your guys aren't hitting the ball against this pitching staff on the Dodgers, the Padres, the Braves, the Mets, wherever you want to go with this, then that doesn't even matter anymore. You know what's funny? In some ways, this team is actually constructed pretty similarly to the Rays last year. Like They're going to need one of those guys in that lineup to get really hot, whether it be Carlson or Arenado or Goldschmidt, just like, unfortunately, Randy Arozarena had an all-time great postseason last year. They're going to need that number one starter, like Blake Snell did a year ago, to have a really fantastic postseason. And then we are just attacking you with numbers from the back end of our pin. And all of them throw 95 plus and all of them are coming from different angles and they're going to make life a living nightmare for your lineup. It's kind of how the Cardinals are constructed right now. If you're looking for a similarity all the way down to their center fielder, that's all about defense and not about what he does at the plate. The, the, the idea of if you're looking for a theory for the case for the Cardinals, it's the 2020 uh, Tampa Bay race. I would agree with that. That's actually a really good comparison because a lot of those arms coming out of your pin are not known. As we talked about with uh, John Morosi, John Morosi brought up, you know, it's either going to be a top three bullpen or they're going to have to go acquire a piece. So, I mean, it shows you there's not a lot of well-known names for the Cardinals pin, but I look at it too. I mean, that Dodgers lineup, that Padres lineup, to me, it's going to be tough for the bullpen to go out there four games and give you, I don't know, six and you said three innings from your number two, three, mm-hmm. four starters. It's going to be tough for your bullpen guys to go out there and give you six innings against a loaded Dodgers lineup. I, to me, you're going to have to get someone of the starting rotation. Just just give me a game one of Flaherty who can go maybe five or six, and then we can go with our back-end guys in the bullpen lock them down. Game two, to me, it's almost going to have to be the same thing. Someone's going to have to step up, whether it be game two, game three, game four, whatever, because I just feel like over time in a series, the Dodgers are going to get more used to your bullpen arms and of how good the Dodgers lineup is. Sure. They're just going to, to me, you're not going to be able to contain the Dodgers under three runs. It's going to be hard to contain them under three runs. It absolutely will be. But that's what you have to do. Like for the way that this team is constructed, it was very hard for the Rays to keep them down. And uh, in the end, the Dodgers were able to overcome. But it got real close there. It got dicey for the Dodgers for a bit. The Rays almost found a way to do it. And then they screwed it up by taking out their starting pitcher too early. <laughs> With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 12-15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Darren Pang's going to be on the call for Blues versus Kings coming up tonight. He's going to do so for NBC, though. We'll talk to him about what we should expect from the Blues coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex 
Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to be joined by Darren Pang, blues analyst for Fox Sports Midwest. Tonight, you'll see him on the call with NBC. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Darren, I know it's an unbelievably busy day for you today. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. Uh, let's go ahead and get right into this. The lines were announced earlier this morning, at least the expected lines for tonight. They've got Blay going up to that top line once again. What do you think of this construction that we might see tonight? Well, you know what? I, I think that Craig Berube is doing everything that he can right now with all the injuries that are taking place. And, and I, I, uh, I think he's just trying to diversify the attack. Um, you know, I think he, he's really liked Jordan Kairos, uh, his game. Um, he liked what he was doing with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. And then, you know, and now, you know, you got a chance. Sammy Blaze got up his game and maybe get in there and uh, make more plays instead of maybe be preoccupied on, on, on making so many hits. And so now, you know, Braden Shen's got Hoffman on one side and Jordan Cairo on the other. So two guys that should be able to make the play. So that's six guys that you're, you're, you know, you're hoping that can make a dent in it after being shut out twice in the last four games. So um, for me, that's not so much of a, a, a concern. It's really getting... You know, it's really getting other guys going as well. I like the fourth line. I thought they played well in the last game. Um, I think it's important to get Zach Sanford going confidence-wise in both ends of the ice. And without Tyler Bozak, you know, returning to the lineup, Austin Poganti gets another chance with Oscar Sundquist. So, uh, you know, obviously this, these are not easy times for any head coach or the players just because of all the injuries. Hey, Panger, it's pretty obvious. Blues have had their struggles in exiting and getting the puck out of their own zone quickly. What do you think's been lacking in that area? Well, you know, clean outs are, are, are difficult when you've got a, a pretty good four-checking team. Um, you know, I would have to think that, you know, the, the system that Todd McClellan in L.A. has got going, a uh, 1-3-1, is a really good system. And, and I, I think there was a lot of times where the Blues D, you know, they, they did the right things, they had the right routes, uh, but by the time they made that pass from the D to the forwards, it was a little bit slow, a little bit untidy. And I think the D of the L.A. Kings did a great job of stepping up and kind of smothering that. So um, all in all, I give, I give L.A. a lot of credit for what they did. And I would expect the Blues to have way more of an adjustment getting out of their zone for tonight's game. Darren, when you're down so many players like the Blues are right now, I mean, we came into this season thinking that the power play unit was going to be a massive strength for this team. Does it need to step up like that now, now that you are down so many guys at five on five? Absolutely. I mean, the five on five has carried this team all season long. I mean, it's, you know, and then that sort and, and now the gas in the tank there is starting to dwindle a little bit uh, because of the injuries that have taken place. But yeah, when you have a chance and let's say you're early in the third period, like a couple of games ago and you've got a power play and it's a tight game and you don't score and then you've got one late in the game and you don't score. Yeah, that's obviously uh, that takes its toll on those top players because they, they expect to score. They expect to be difference makers in those situations. So uh, I, unfortunately, you know, you, you try to say, well, you don't squeeze the stick so tight and, and just relax. But at the same time, they know the pressure's on and there's only two minutes to score a goal. So you do tend to maybe press it a little bit. Panger, I got to ask because you and you and JK are on NBC uh, tonight with a broadcast. What's it going to be like for you? I know you've done NBC, but for John Kelly also to get on this national stage and talk or call the Blues and uh, Kings matchup. Well, you know me, I'm very biased towards John Kelly, and he, uh, he certainly should have you know, been on many more times than this throughout his career. He's uh, great at what he does. He's a great partner. Um, I think the fans in L.A. will uh, you know, enjoy them as much as we know that the fans here in, in St. Louis and where he's been in his career, Colorado, 
Um, he just has a great understanding of calling the game. He's not, he doesn't go one way or the other. He just, he calls it and, uh, and really gives the analyst a, a lot of time and space. He's got no ego. And, you know, I'm pretty grateful that I've been with him. And I'm really grateful that I get to, you know, be alongside John for, for his first uh, game here on the, on the NBC side. Last question that I've got for Darren Pang, Blues analyst for Fox Sports Midwest. You'll see him on the call tonight for NBC as well. Uh, Darren, what's something that you're going to be watching for tonight in this matchup? What do we need to see from the Blues to be able to kind of overcome uh, what, what we had seen in the first game of this series? What, what are your kind of storylines to watch for the Blues tonight? Well, I would, I would say take a look back at the last 10 minutes uh, in a desperate situation where the, you know, the Blues needed to score. Um, they're, they're, you know, obviously riddled by injuries, but yet, boy, they didn't give up. I mean, they put a lot of pressure on LA. LA was hemmed in their own zone for maybe the last eight minutes. And, you know, that's blues hockey all the way. And I would, I would say to see that for, for, you know, a more consistent portion of the game and put more pressure on the LA Kings defensive zone, because, uh, LA has got confidence right now. They're playing great. Their special teams are outstanding. And so, uh, Listen, don't go light on these Kings. They're, I think they're a really good team. I said that the very first time the Blues played them this year. Darren, thanks so much for the time today, man. We know you are incredibly busy. We look forward to seeing you on the call tonight. All the best to you and your family. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great day. Absolutely. That's Darren Pang joining us here on 101 ESPN. A busy man. He's got a yeah. bunch of other Zoom calls that he's got to get to today. We'd love to have more of his time, but he was generous to give us uh, a few minutes th- this morning. I did want to ask you, Alex, about the power play units because they switched them up a little bit. The first unit is now O'Reilly, Perron, Hoffman, Shin, and Krug. The second power play unit is Falk, Dunn, Kairu, Sunquist, and Sanford. What do you think about those configurations now for the power play units? I know a lot of people aren't happy that Falk isn't on that number one unit, but I understand where Craig Bruby's coming from with this. You brought Tory Krug over here to be the power play specialist, and right now they're going top heavy with their power play because super top heavy. Frankly, that second unit doesn't have enough weapons for you right now. But look at the weapons you're missing. If you had Schwartz, if you had Thomas both healthy, if you had Tyler Bozak healthy. I think you're talking about those three playing on that second unit with possibly a Braden Shen, but you don't have it. So you're going top heavy. You're going Tory Krug up there. And I loved what Krug talked about a couple of days ago. Um, you know, he, I think it was on the fast lane. He was telling the guys that like, look, when I was in Boston, it took three to four years for us to really get on the same page because you got a lot of guys doing different things out there and you got to figure out what works best. And I think they're still trying to solve that. But the one thing that comes out with this power play and Panger talked about this with us on the post game show the other night, you got guys that are trying to earn the respect from his teammates. So Mike Hoffman's out there. He's trying to earn the respect from his teammates. So maybe he's not shooting as much. Maybe he's trying to make that extra pass to earn that respect. Tory Krug, he's trying to earn the respect of these line mates out there on the power play. So maybe you're a little bit more passive. I think some of these guys just need to be a little more selfish, and I think that's what Craig Bruby is talking to them about. When you get the puck, go quick. Fast movement. Shoot it on net. Because if you look at the success in the last five or six games, when the Blues score on the power play, BK, it comes from a faceoff win, a couple of quick passes, on net, bodies in front. So... They're going top-heavy. They're utilizing a Tory Krug up on that unit to where he can put shots on net. But I think this comes down to more guys playing as that five-man unit that we speak of. And it's also playing to out-compete the penalty kill. And right now, the Blues have been out-competed by the penalty kill. I'm, I hope that they're able to start taking advantage of the talent that they have on that first unit. Because, man, they... 
They need the power play to show up right now. Five on five is going to be a struggle. And this LA Kings defense, this unit is no joke, man. The, the, The style that they played stymied the Blues in that first game. Maybe the Blues will have a little bit more. They adjust in the second game, much like opponents have adjusted to them in the second game of a series. But... I don't think you can count too much on five on five scoring in this in this matchup, at least tonight, yeah. while you've got so many bodies out. So that makes the power play that much more significant. And tonight, they're going to need that first unit to be able to step if up. If you want to pick up points between now and when your reinforcements return, it's all going to come from the power play. It, five on five, you need to compete with your team and you need to play solid defensively. But winning hockey games for me is going to come from your special teams unit, specifically on that power play, because when you get the advantage like they had the other night against L.A., you had the chance to go up one nothing in that first period and you missed out on it. You had the chance to tie it. You missed out on it. You got to take advantage and capitalize on those opportunities. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. Number 20 was Justin Williams. Number 19, Edmundo Sosa. We'll tell you who number 18 is coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. Yeah, there's a 40-man roster, but we sort of started late. It's BK and Ferrario. Number 18, Hennessy's Cabrera. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. The final three outs, strikeouts for Hennessy's Cabrera. Hennessy's Cabrera comes in at number 18 on our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. I don't know how, but apparently you guys aren't even certain that this player is going to make the opening day roster. I think it's a near certainty for them. The Cardinals are very high on him, and there's reason why. He's got strikeout stuff. He struck out a third of the batters that he faced last season. If you look at all of the National League, there were 60 relievers that pitched at least 20 innings last year. He was 13th in strikeout rate. Here's the downside. Again, 60 relievers in the National League that pitched at least 20 innings last year. He had the second highest walk rate. He's a bit of an all or nothing guy. He doesn't have great command, but his stuff is legit. And it is strikeout stuff whenever he is on. Number 18 on our 20 most important Cardinals for 2021, Hennessy's Cabrera. Okay, but you're surprised that we are questioning Tanner and myself. He makes this big league club. How many pitchers do you think this team carries? 13? 13, maybe 14, but I would say I'm leaning towards 13 right now. Because if I go through this and list these off, as much as I don't believe it, because I think Cabrera is better than, frankly, both of the left-handers that you have on your ball club right now, but I think Andrew Miller and Tyler Webb are ahead of Henesis Cabrera. And if I'm going through the amount of pitchers that you have on your roster, I mean, so we- let's do this real quick. So you've got Flaherty, KK, Wayno, Michaelis, Martinez. That's your starting five right now. Yep. We're all in agreement on that. Yep. yep. We all agree that Miller is going to be on the roster. Yep. Unfortunately, Webb will be on the roster. He's out of options. They, they cannot send him down. Correct. We all think he's going to be up, right? Both yep. of those guys yep. are lefties. That's where the problem potentially comes in here. Hicks is going to be on the yep. opening day roster. Gant is going to be on the opening day roster. Yep. Ponce is out of options. Reyes will be up. Gallegos will be up. That's 12. So now we're coming down to that last spot in the bullpen, and we have not mentioned Cabrera, Helsley, Oviedo, Whitley, 
Elledge, Woodford. I think those it, are the guys that are battling for that last spot. I think right it's now. pretty obvious, at least for me, Ryan Helsley's that guy. You think Helsley would get in over Cabrera right now? I, I agree with Alex. He's I, one of those late innings guys. And with the three batter minimum, I think the lefty is just isn't as valuable anymore in your pen. Part if of I'm me, being honest. Part of me wonders if they're going to try and stretch out Henesis a little bit more in Memphis and give him the opportunities to be in the rotation so that you can use him as one of those long arms. But the reason I put in, and look, Cabrera was number 17 on my list. The reason I put him as a impactful player this season is become because come April, May, I think he's going to be called up. You don't have options, as you mentioned, BK, with Tyler Webb. Andrew Miller still makes me nervous when he comes out of the bullpen. I think Henesis Cabrera is going to be your go-to left-handed pitcher at some point this season. I think, I think he's your best one. I think he's got the best stuff of any lefty that you've got in your bullpen. A hundred percent with that. And, and I think this is more of a, okay, look, Tyler Webb, you know, we have no options with him last season in 21 and two third innings. He pitched a 2.08 ERA. Let's see what this guy's got to offer. Opponents at 132 against him last year, man. His, his numbers are legit. Again, disclaimer, the walks are a problem. Exactly. And he's got to get that figured out. And that is maybe that's why he starts the year down in AAA. They want him to work on his command. And it's much easier to do that down in AAA than it is in the majors. I, I, I just I come back to whether he starts the year in AAA or starts it on the big league club. I think he's going to be a hugely important piece at some point this season. I, I think you are going to have he'll probably be sixth or seventh in my mind in terms of the bullpen guys in their importance. I think Gant is more important than him. Hicks, Reyes, Gallegos. That might be the list for me. I think he might be the fifth most important reliever going into this season. And that's that's not to suggest that Miller or Webb, Helsley, Ponce, those guys aren't important. They are. I think given his stuff, given the upside that Cabrera brings to the table, he is somebody that you could go into a playoff series and he could give you two innings against a really good lineup. He is that nasty with what he brings to the table. Yeah, I I think he is going to be up. I think he's one of those guys that just rides that Memphis train. He's going to come up for a little bit. He'll go maybe two innings one day and they'll say, you know what? We need to bring up a fresh arm. Sorry, Cabrera, you're going right back down. That's why... His importance to me wasn't able to make my top 20 because he didn't make mine. And with the two lefties ahead of him, Miller and Webb, and I think we guys mentioned Webb. Webb floats under the radar. He's really good. I, I love I, – he's not electric like Cabrera is, and he doesn't have the strikeout rate. But, I mean, I was concerned about him heading into last year because the splits against righties weren't very good. He held his own last year. So Gets guys out. I, that's why I think Cabrera's behind him, and he, I don't think you carry three lefties in your pin. I think he is a guy that will have importance. His strikeout rate's impressive, but again, the walks, he's going to have to fix that. Otherwise, you have a guy that you send out there, and you don't know what you're going to get. You could get a guy that strikes out all three, or you could have a guy that walks all three, and you got to go to the pin. And the pro, the biggest issue with him last year was once you got into the playoffs, you you couldn't trust him. And every time there was this sinking feeling in my stomach when Henesis Cabrera was coming into the game and that like relievers, I, I judge them. And maybe this is unfair. I judge relievers as much about the feeling that you get as they enter the game as I do the numbers, because the numbers last year for Henesis Cabrera would tell you he was one of the best relievers on the team. He had a 2-4 ERA and 22 innings in those 22 innings. He struck out 32 batters. He was dominant. But he also walked 16 guys and he hit too many guys at four. He, he, there were just there were they had three homers that were given up. 
when he gave up damage, it was big time damage. And then you got into the playoffs and you just couldn't trust him. You, he barely could get through three batters at time times in that series against the Padres. The problem for me right now, and this is why I put Cabrera on this list, because he's young, he's cost controlled, and he's a left-handed guy. All three of my lefties right now make me nervous when they come into a game. It's Miller, true. Webb, and Cabrera. Cabrera has the most upside of those three, which is why I think at some point this season, whenever he gets that that walk rate settled down and the control better, he's going to be a go-to pitcher for Mike Schilt. I just don't know if it's going to be right away. I think they're going to have him work out some of those kinks. The other question that I would have about Hennessy Cabrera is what his future is. Because we hear so much about the Cardinals' young pitching that is on the way, right? And so many of them are framed as being potential starters in the future. You've got that with Oviedo and Liberator and Woodford, Thompson, Reyes. Like, everybody that is coming is, hey, that guy's going to be a starter for the Cardinals in the future. Well, Hannes Cabrera was that at one point as well. In fact... Not this past season, but in 2019, he, he he did start a couple of games for the Cardinals. Is that in his future? Because if it is, which you said earlier, Alex, they very well may start him in AAA to be able to extend those innings a little bit to get that under him for next year. If that's not his future, though, that becomes much less important. You can just put him into this role as being a reliever. And for me, for my money, with this organization... I think he best profiles to be a reliever moving forward. I want to see his stuff coming out of the back end of my pen. I'm not worried about extending him to be a starter. I, I think this is where he should be. I think if he learns command, I with his stuff, could become one of the best left-handed relievers in baseball up there with like a Josh Hader. Not a Josh Hader, but around that, 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 that second below. tier sure. below him. So, yeah, I think he projects more as a reliever. I like his stuff, but again, I just think him doing that 100 pitches a game and trying to stretch out for five or six just doesn't fit him as much. You also just have so much competition for it. Yeah. If this guy was on the Pirates, he'd be in their rotation this year. Hmm. If he was pitching for Cincinnati, maybe by next season they would have him as the as a big league starter, and so they would spend all of this year down in AAA. For the Cardinals, given the cavalry that's about to be coming, I just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense for them to invest that kind of time, that kind of innings in a guy that is, is maybe at best like their seventh option as a starter. Especially being a lefty because... Libatory and Zach Thompson yeah. on top of having already with KK in the rotation. I mean, look, that's part of the reason why I think Austin Gomber was a piece of that trade for Nolan Arenado because you've got the depth right now at left. You need somebody out of the bullpen and Gomber was never going to be that. Cabrera can be that weapon on the left side. And I think that's the area that has to be built up for the Cardinals. So number 18 on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals heading into the 2021 season is Hennessy Cabrera. Number 20 was Justin Williams. Number 19 was Edmundo Sosa. We will get to number 17 coming up tomorrow. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you have some thoughts on that start to this list. Coming up next, though, let's dive into the junk drawer, including guys. Older men in Zoom calls. Oh. It happened once again. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. All right, guys. Love their morning show. I love those. Those two. 
Randy Carricker, Michelle Smallman. That felt like sarcasm. No, I do. Oh, I, okay. I enjoy what, uh, the show that they've been putting on. I thought earlier today they had a fantastic interview about uh, Tiger Woods in yep. particular. Danny Mac joining them on Thursdays and Fridays. It's a fantastic show. We got to talk to our guy, Randy Carricker, though. Because yesterday, he was on the Zoom call with Harrison Bader. And Harrison Bader was so generous with his time, he was willing to answer any and all questions that were coming his way, right? He was talking about what it means to him to win a gold glove, what it means that the Cardinals had put so much trust into him and these young outfielders. And Randy loves getting in on these Zooms. He is working his butt off, trying to get as many answers we can get for this station. So he gets on there and he raises his hand to ask a question. But as we have seen so often, sometimes men over our age, Alex. Oh, no. Did he keep the video on? No, 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 no. I should have clarified here. Yikes. They struggle with Zoom sometimes. Did he have a cat background the whole time? He had a mute problem. Here's what it sounded like. I'm not a cat. He tried to ask a question of Harrison Bader on Zoom yesterday. Randy Carricker, ESPN Radio 101. You got me, Harrison? Yeah, I got you. I don't have you right now. I did have you. Anyone else have a question for Harrison? Randy's trying. I can see you, Randy. <laughs> Is his mouth moving? <laughs> Nothing's coming out. Yeah, I think he's got the mute button on. I apologize for all old people. Get it together, olds. <laughs> Any other questions while we wait for Randy? Or we got? Thanks, Harrison. Absolutely. <laughs> so that. Mm, that you heard at the end that was Randy by the way I edited that down oh, that yeah. was about two and a half minutes oh well we can't play originally I just didn't want to have our audience listening to these awkward silences <laughs> for 10 to 15 seconds at a time and then at the very end finally right as they're getting ready to close down the zoom you hear Randy finally figure out oh that's the zoom button he hits it, and you hear the groan as he's like, I can't figure this thing out. Uh, by the way, I love Harrison Bader. I don't got you. No, now I got you. Well, I had you. He's trying. Like, just the the thought the process. Play-by-play. Yeah, the play-by-play of that Zoom. I mean, frankly, that was like Kevin Harlan calling a streaker on the field, Harrison Bader, with that play-by-play. And by the way, that was Jimmy the Cat Hayes there that said, I apologize for all old people, where I will give Randy this. It's not all old people that go through this. No. I've been on Zooms before with college no. kids where they don't understand how Zoom works. I did really? one about a month ago, I think. College kid, he had a project talking with somebody in the broadcasting field, sent me the Zoom link, got on, was set up and everything. And for the next, I don't know, 45 seconds, all he kept doing was clicking buttons and you would see the bu- the icon go mute. Mute, mute, off mute, 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 mute. I'm like, okay, like I, you have it, but he couldn't figure it out. So, so I have a deep fear because I, when I get on these Zoom calls, oh, yeah. I have a deep fear because I'm, I'm like holding the phone around as I'm getting ready in the morning, listening to these Zooms um, with, with Mike Schultz, mm-hmm. when John Mosaloc's been doing them. So I'll just carry my phone around with me, right? And I could be doing anything. I'm getting ready in the morning, right? Anything. Hey, <laughs> okay. no, not, let's, let's not go there. I have a very deep fear that it's going to that you're going to be one of these stories stop being on uh, no camera mode. Like it's going to start showing me. And so I check it like five times a minute to just make sure nobody I'm not on camera. My mute is still on. I'm good to go. So I understand all of that. 
Come on, oh. Randy. Come on, buddy. Okay, strangest thing that you've had the zoom on for during. What do you mean? Like, yeah. so for me, I, I've, I've, I'm like you. I listen to the zooms in the morning. I've had the zoom on while I take a shower, and I've had that same fear of keeping I can the camera. Off. Say I have you not, haven't done that. I've not done well, that. Hear me out here, because like <laughs> that is that is one step. That's a bridge too far for me, Alex well, Ferrario. Look, and, and, but I'm like you. I panic on that because I'm thinking like I can't. I can't become one of these people in the news where like you know, oh hey, camera mode in the shower. So what I do is I will leave it in the bathroom outside. I will connect it to the Bluetooth so that I can hear it while I'm in the shower. Mm-hmm. But I put the phone upside down. Now, I'll make sure the camera's off, make sure it's on mute, but I will flip it over and put it down, and I still panic the entire time I'm taking a shower that that's going to go on. So I have done that. I, I've, I've been on the Zoom calls while I'm using the restroom, so like you've, it's not that far removed from what you're talking you about. You never want to have a Zoom call where the audio's on and you could hear somebody <laughs> peeing while yeah. they're asking well, questions. That's when you've got to check like before, during, and after to make sure Just that you're still on mid-stream. mute. Midstream. Um, but that that is when I will do the same thing uh-huh. where you put the face down on the phone. You yep. make sure that the camera is far away. You cover it with like a little something, something like yep. put some toilet paper, paper on top of it. Yep. Yeah, that you you got to be careful with these things right now. I won't lie. I thought I unmuted during Schultz Zoom today because I had it on my laptop and I was typing up something. And I think Control A is my unmute button or something along those lines. And I hit like Shift A and I must have touched it. And I look up and I just see it start flashing. I'm like, oh my god, what happened? Nothing. I like almost dropped my laptop. <laughs> or you become Randy and then like you hit the raise hand button, so they come to you next, and then it's like you don't know what the hell's going on. Like, ah. Uh, uh. Thank you, Randy. Well, speaking of people not knowing things, whether it be Zoom or whatnot, I don't know if you guys saw this the other day. I don't know if you both have watched WandaVision yet. If you're into no, Marvel, but please do not no, have any spoilers. No, no spoilers here, I promise. Well, it might be a spoiler if you don't know what the hell's going on. So we all know the actress Elizabeth Olsen, right? Yes. We all know Mary Kate and Ashley. Okay, well, apparently people. Apparently, she's that, much better than either of those well, two. That's very true. Apparently, people didn't know that she was related to Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. This literally went viral yesterday. It was Kara trending. My fiance was un- really unaware, here. completely wow. unaware. How we, do you we not know We talked about this that? like three or four days ago. Yeah. How do no you idea. not know? Th- like on Twitter, just random comments. Honestly, I had no clue until I read an article last year. Wait, Mary Kate and Ashley, Elizabeth's sisters? Boy, she kind of looks like Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen in those old movies. I wonder if they're related. Mm-hmm. How is this possible when they have the last name the same? Well, because everybody talks about it as Mary Kate and Ashley. Like, okay. It, 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 honestly, so she's like the black sheep of the Mary Kate and Ashley family. Yes. Did you know that Peyton and Eli have a brother? Yeah. Yeah. Cooper. Yeah. Yeah, nobody I didn't knows know his Cooper. name, but I knew they had yeah, exactly. I didn't know they had a name, but yeah. But nobody knows Cooper. It's Archie, Eli, and Peyton. But and, Cooper's and just guy. out there kind of chilling, doing his own thing. Sometimes you'd rather be Cooper, you know, where you just get to do your own thing. I would much rather be Elizabeth. Well, she stayed out of the limelight and just kind of did her thing. Okay, take while me. Mary Kate and Ashley were out here on Full House doing their thing. Take me through that conversation with your fiance Kara. Like, how does this happen to where she's like, and, and what's your response? Because yeah, this I know is a my good question. I know my response if my wife were to turn to me and say, "Did you know that she's related to Mary Kate and Ashley?" We make fun of me not knowing things, but I knew this. And the Olsen twins were stars in Full House in the I don't know nineties. Okay, so yeah. so walk me through Before this. Me. Well, walk- the, I mean. She knew who Mary Kate and Ashley were. Walk me Elizabeth through this conversation. Well, I, I 
I think it's kind of fair, honestly, because so first of all, Kara hasn't really watched the whole Marvel series. We're working on it, guys. I know. Um, but it's not like Elizabeth has been in a ton of other stuff. It's basically the Marvel universe is is what she's been a part of so far. So I kind of get it from that perspective. And there was just there was really no reason to know who she was prior to this or that she had a relation with Mary Kate and Ashley. Other than the fact that she looks just like them and they have the last name. There's that. Literally, the, the same spelling of the last name. That look the exact same. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. So we also have this from the 618. Guys, who the hell is Elizabeth Olsen from the 314? I've never even heard of this girl prior to you talking about her is right now. Is this a real thing? People don't know who this is? She's been in other movies. She's been in a couple of horror films. I mean, not not big ones, though, really. Yeah, but like her, Mar- her, biggest, her biggest stuff is, is in... Marvel's the made Marvel billion cinematic. dollar movies. And it's been around for like 15 it. years so far. Well, maybe not 15 oh, years, like 10 years. She's been a part of it for like six. Her, her first movie was in half. 2014. That's more than Seven half. years. That's almost 10 years. I get it. Um, yeah, I, I'm certainly not in that category. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the apparently Marvel Apparently, I'm but. in the minority that knows that this is Mary Kate and Ashley's I'm sister. I'm with you. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guy's a little different with Cooper. He's not a football player. The Olsen sister is an actress. It's the same industry. That's a good point. A contraire, Cooper was a football player. <laughs> not a good point. <laughs> yeah, he was a college he player, did. wasn't he? He was, uh, he was a very good high school player. It just didn't work out for him at the next level. So <laughs> We've all been there before, am I right? Technically, it didn't really work out for Mary-Kate Nashley at the next level. <laughs> Child stars, and then boom, game over. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next. Okay, hold on. This is a shot right here. Haven't heard of or seen any Marvel movies. I'm a big boy. Marvel movies are for big boys. I watch that. I'm an adult. Uh, Marvel Marvel movies are very good. They are not kid movies. Sorry, BK. I, I ruined your tease there. Yeah, Mar- Marvel movies are really good. What's your favorite Marvel movie? Marvel, Marvel movie? What is your favorite Marvel movie? The last Avengers one. Endgame? Endgame was the best. Oof. I'd say Endgame. I also like uh, Winter Soldier or Civil War. Those two are really good. Those are almost like Avengers movies, even though they're technically Captain America. I'd go Ragnarok. That's my number one. Ragnarok was good. Coming up next, did people really think that the Steelers were going to move on from Ben Roethlisberger? Why, why did anybody convince themselves of this? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. Uh. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the Air Comfort Service text line. A little bit of a correction to make on Cooper Manning. Great player. Apparently a disease kept him out of the pros. He and Peyton set records in high school. Wanted to set that straight. He had a back condition, to be very specific, about what took place there. At least there. he's still here, though. At least you didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, you know? no. At least you didn't do <laughs> Cooper that. Cooper Manning's very much still alive and well. I want <laughs> should clarify that. Uh, we did talk in the last segment about how, you know, Eli Peyton, they went on to do unbelievable things, both Hall of Famers, Debatable. whatever, uh, in the NFL Cooper did not, and that was the similarity between the Olsen sisters Way to go, as well. Cooper. All right, moving right along over to another quarterback that was actually in the same draft class as Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger. 
apparently there were people that had convinced themselves this offseason that the Steelers were going to be moving on from Big Ben. I am not one of those people. Well, yesterday, the owner of the team, the owner of the Steelers and Ben had a conversation. They decided what was seemingly inevitable, I, I thought at least, that Ben would be back on a restructured deal. He's probably going to end up costing around $23 million against the cap this year instead of the outlandish $40-plus million cap hit that he was expected to have. Guys, I guess my question to you Did you think that the Steelers were going to upgrade from Ben Roethlisberger going into next season? Did people convince themselves of this? Why did I feel like people were surprised by this story when it came out yesterday? Because it it didn't surprise me at all. Probably because he struggled so much towards the end of that season. I mean, he was awesome Especially in the the first 11. But yeah, I mean, he disappeared in the final six games and then in the postseason game. But I, I was never on that train that he was going to be gone. I think you have to start looking if you're Pittsburgh for the next quarterback. Maybe they think that's Dwayne Haskins. I don't uh, buy into that, but maybe they do. You got to start looking for it. But I think if you want to compete, Ben Roethlisberger can keep you in the conversation of a candidate to be in that championship conversation. There are other issues for Pittsburgh beyond Ben Roethlisberger. One's the running game. The other's the offensive line. The other one is the defense in terms of its health. Those are major issues. Ben Roethlisberger is not a major issue. You have to put people around him. So I I was never in on this one. I do think you got to start thinking about past Ben Roethlisberger, though. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I I never thought it was really an issue. I I mean, I'd convince myself when the season is over, hey, unless he retires, Big Ben's the quarterback. Sure. I never had second thoughts about that. Now, yes, they do have to find the guy that's going to replace him because he's got maybe one year left in him. This could be the final ride. I mean, let's be honest. I, he's not getting any younger. I would trade a future second-round pick for Sam Darnold and let him spend this year behind Ben Roethlisberger, find out what he has. If he's good, fantastic, and he's your future at the position. If he's not... Well, then it's a future second round pick and you're out that and that that stinks. But at least you took a shot at the position with a really talented, although unproductive thus far quarterback who was in a terrible situation in New York. He's still only 23 years old. That's the kind of move that I would make. You, you, You guys are right. They need to find out the future at the position. And right now they don't have one. It's not Dwayne Haskins and it's certainly not Duck Hodges or... Uh, Mason Rudolph. It's not any of those guys. They need to find who that guy can be. I think that's what the goal should be this offseason. But I never felt like it was find their new starter for 2021. Ben was kind of the assured starter to me unless he retired. See, that's an interesting point you brought up there with Darnold. Now, is he, correct me if I'm wrong, he's a free agent at the end of the year, correct? Darnold would be, yeah. So, unless they pick up the fifth year option. Oh, okay. So then, yeah, I would, I would. That would make sense to me, but if you're the Steelers, do you kind of do what the Saints did with Breeze? You go, you know what, we know it's kind of the last ride. Do we just push all the chips in and go all in? Do we go spend big and go get a running back? Or do maybe not a running back, because as we've learned, BK hates running backs. He does. But uh He does. So does Stoltz, actually. Uh, but uh, wonder where he got it from. <laughs> but do you go all in and say, hey, let's go get the best offensive lineman, whether that be in the draft or we go out in free agency and spend? Do you go all in or do you just sit back and you go, okay? We have a chance if we get in with Big Ben. Do we do we hold back so we don't get put in the Saints? Because you look at the Saints, they went all in, and they are, are in cap hell. You go all in. Yeah, you have to go all in. You can't sit back and say, we just need to get in. Because look what happened when you got in. You fell apart. 
Yeah, and part of that is because of the injuries to the defense. That that defense was decimated this year by injuries. Devin Bush going down was, was massive for them. Yeah. But even with defense, I don't think that team's getting out of the, the first round. Maybe not, but I think if you add a few more, th- their biggest issue is the offensive line. Mm-hmm. They, they have to... I don't think that getting a running back is changing who you are as an offense right now. And that is not because I hate running backs. I think you can, if you have the offensive line in place, a dynamic running back can help your offense, but they don't have an offensive line in place right now. So they've got to get that first, then figure out the rest. I don't know what the plan is with Juju Smith Schuster. He's, I would expect that he's going to be leaving and going elsewhere. Going to get paid. So they've got some holes offensively going into this offseason that they need to be able to fix. But the number one, the number one priority to me for the offseason, get Ben get Ben Ben back at a reduced rate. He's at he's supposed to cost forty one point two five million dollars now. If they move some things around, they can get that down to a minimum of twenty two and a half. That is the least amount of money that he can make this year because that's what the dead cap is if they were to release him. Twenty two and a half million dollars is the lowest that they can go with him. I think it's going to be somewhere around there. 22 to $25 million, what, what it'll be. Next priority, this is like 1B and Ben is 1A. you got to fix this offensive line because it was an absolute nightmare last year. They couldn't run the football. And they just lost one of their best offensive linemen to retirement. Two of them. And two of them. Well, Pouncey retired. Oh, did he? Is uh, is a free agent as well. Yeah. And then you lost Pouncey to retirement. So, yeah, and that's going to be the major issue. But, again, I can see the the consideration of moving on from Big Ben but if you want a shot at another Super Bowl with it, which I know Art Rooney is going to want, Big Ben's your best option of the free agents or the available quarterbacks other than Deshaun Watson. So the Steelers might be one of these teams because they're a contender for sure. The Chiefs could be in this group. The Bucks could be in this group. Chase Edmonds, who's a running back for the Arizona Cardinals, recently tweeted, this free agency is going to be wild. Going to be a lot of really good players that are forced to take a one-year deal because of the salary cap. There could be some super teams this year. We're going to have to see what this looks like. Again, that was Chase Edmonds who tweeted that a current running back for the Arizona Cardinals. I'm really interested, guys. Who do you think are the teams that could potentially take advantage of this? Because I think Chase Edmonds is right. We're going to see some cap casualties that are really surprising. Like Von Miller is very likely to be cut by the Denver Broncos this offseason. He's somebody that if healthy and he's got all of his other stuff off the field taken care of, that's another story for another day. He could absolutely help a contender now. J.J. Watt already kept casualty. He's somebody that can help a contender today. Juju Smith-Schuster's already out on the open market. Allen Robinson's out there. Those guys are probably not taking one-year deals, but who do you think are the teams right now that if they go out and get some of these mid-tier veterans, who are the teams that could take advantage of this going into next season, in your opinion? So I had three of them that I wrote down. Uh-huh. Uh, Kansas City's one team for me. If, if they could go out there, and I don't know if it would happen, but if you get a one-year deal for a guy like a Kenny Galladay, that makes them a super team. I mean, you got the speed of a Ty Hill. You have the size of a Travis Kelsey. We all know about Pat Mahomes, but you got yourself a power-wide receiver That'd be amazing. who can just buy well, Of course it would. This guy's <laughs> all over this. So that was one that popped out to me. J.J. Watt, and I know everyone's kind of put him everywhere. I would hate to see this, but you put J.J. Watt on that Tampa Bay team, holy shnikes. I mean, because put I... It, put him in Green Bay. Put him That's in Green Bay as well. Him. Yeah. Well, and then the other one I thought of was put him in Seattle. Oh, that'd be good. I yeah. mean, Seattle's biggest issue this rush. past year was defense and, yeah, pass rush. 
you put him out there with the defense that they had this past season, that's a scary looking team too. So that was three that popped out to me. Seattle is intriguing. I I had Casey on my list. Buffalo to me is on my list. I think. Look at that. I think you look at them and you go, they're close. And if they could get some guys on one year deals, <sighs> go get Juju for Buffalo. Hole. Yeah. And then I also had I had Green Bay on my list. I I think people would want to go play for Rodgers, especially well not with, play for. for I don't know how to say or it. Or with either Whatever, same but I think people would want to play with him because you look at how well he played at the age of 36 or 37, whatever he was last season, they were close. What, uh, and they just ran into Tom Brady. What player in a super team makes that Packers team better? Is it a defensive player or is it an offensive weapon? I would love. You mentioned Kenny Galladay. How about Will Fuller? Ooh, Will yeah. Fuller on a one-year prove-it deal for them, $10, $12 million. I know that he had the suspension this year. He's dealt with some injury issues in the past, and I bet you that's why he might have to end up taking a one, maybe two-year deal somewhere. You pair him with the guys that they already have, Devontae Adams on one side, now you get the deep threat on the other side. I think that could make, I mean, what was already an MVP type of a player in Aaron Rodgers that could add them a, a little bit of a deep threat ability into that offense, which they were missing at times. What about year. putting J.J. Watt or Von Whit Miller, like you said, if he gets cut? What do you about putting one of those two in Cleveland? That'd be a hell of a lot of fun as well. I bet you that turns your – does that turn that team into a Super Bowl contender? They're close, man. They really are. Because their I, offense is good. So the thing that they're going to need, they just need Baker to take that next step. Yeah. And I don't know if he's going to or not, but if you can find some things to help him – get to that next level, just a little bit more of a nudge, they're not super far away. So that if you added a little bit to the defense, take another step for Baker Mayfield, yeah, they're starting to get into that Super Bowl contention. A team that I would love to see take advantage of this is the Indianapolis Colts. You need to support the hell out of your quarterback. Go out there and sign Allen Robinson. They have $43 million right now in cap space. They have all of the money you could possibly ask for. So go out there. Sign Trent Williams in free agency, the top offensive tackle in the market. Also, sign Allen Robinson, the top wide receiver in the market. Make sure that you have everything that you could possibly need for Carson Wentz to be successful going into next year. You don't want there to be any sort of questions because you need to know going into the following year, if this doesn't work out with Carson Wentz, who what's our plan at the quarterback position? So the, the Colts would be another team to me that yeah. kind of fits into this category of maybe going from good to great because they were able to sign some guys to one. You got deals. some pretty intriguing names of this free agency this year. And if, if Chase Edmonds is right to where you're going to throw some of these guys into one year, kind of prove it deals. You, as long as it's not Kansas city or Tampa that are the ones doing that, because I think we all can agree. Those are two favorites going into the super bowl this upcoming season. As long as it's not those two teams and other teams jump into play, whether it be Buffalo, Cleveland, Green Bay, Seattle, the Rams, mm -hmm. you're going to open up that opportunity to create other uh, Super Bowl contenders. Glad you mentioned the Rams. The Rams and the Chargers would be the other two that I would add into I this. I was just about to mention the Rams. The Rams and the Chargers. So the Rams have cap issues right now. It's going to be tough for them to take advantage of it. If they can manage their way through things, and we know that can happen. Last year, the Chiefs had $135, and they managed to sign a $500 million contract with their quarterback. You can find a way through these cap issues. Guys want to play in L.A. Guys want to play for Sean McVay. They now have a quarterback that people in the league respect in Matt Stafford. You look over to the other side of L.A. with the Chargers. They actually do have cap room right now they have a really good young quarterback in Justin Herbert that guys are going to want to play with so those are two other teams and then if if 
players believe in Tua Tungavailoa, I think Miami could be another one because guys love playing down in Miami as well, and they've got a really good head coach. I was going to mention the Rams because they've kind of tried to do this in the past with their defense because, remember, they had Sue on a one-year deal, I believe it was. They had Matt Clay Matthews, who was out of his prime, but they tried it with him. They just got Leonard Floyd on a bounce-back deal, and he played really well for them, and mm-hmm. I wish they could keep him, but they're not going to be able to. I would not be shocked if they make a push for a, def- a decent defender that the- – on the defensive side of the ball, maybe five to ten million dollars. Again, they do have the cap problems, but Jadeveon Clowney makes a lot of sense for them. A bounce back candidate, go out there, five million dollar one to come year off the deal, edge, just mm-hmm. like uh, Floyd was. Yeah, I think he would make a ton of sense. I I would expect them to move Brockers. I think he makes around ten million. Another guy that they could move to offensively, they may move on from Higby. I mean, they've got a lot of offensive weapons, so I don't think they're scared of that. I think their main concern is, hey, our defense was really good. A lot of the talent on the defense, minus Ramsey and Donald's not making a whole lot of money. How can we get another bounce back candidate that's going to play well like Floyd? Because I think they paid Floyd like three point three million, or I think it was maybe five. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, candidates to bounce around this offseason. A lot of veterans that will be cut because of these cap constraints. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's one sixteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of more likely to happen. Coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's play a game of more likely to happen. Let's start with this one, boys. More likely to happen. The Cardinals finish the year with three pitchers who have at least fifteen wins, or the Cardinals finish the year with three hitters that have at least 30 homers. Three pitchers with 15-plus wins or three hitters with 30-plus homers. Which side are you taking? I say neither. Um, no, that goes against the, the purpose of the game. Alex? I'll say I'll say the offense, 30 home runs. That's I think cool. Arnato and Goldschmidt are obvious. I think Paul DeYoung gets close to that. 15 wins is possible, but man, I just don't know if guys are going to be able to stay healthy enough for the entire season to get that many. So I'll go hitting. And you got to go, what, five innings to qualify? Mm-hmm. That's the That's thing the for me. Part. Yeah, especially early in the year, getting five. I'll say the home runs, too, because I think Goldie and Arnato could get there easily. DeYoung, maybe. Carlson's got pop. Will he get to 30? I don't think so, but I would say DeYoung could have a shot at 30. I'm pretty definitive on this. I actually would definitely lean towards the same side as, as he side as you guys i think 30 home runs seems very possible from three hitters now if you ask me four hitters 30 plus home runs or three pitchers with 15 plus wins that's where it gets a little tougher. you're definitive though with paul DeYoung. yes see that's the one that gets me though that's why i'm so cautious i think it is much more likely that paul DeYoung gets 30 home runs and this is kind of what it comes down to than that the cardinals have that third pitcher to get to at least 15 wins because I think who I are think the two for see, you? Yeah, KK could definitely get there. Flaherty, obviously. See, I think Michaelis could get there too, though. That's I, why I was so hesitant. I have concerns early in the year about him going deep. They're already. Let's keep an eye on Michaelis, guys. They're already cautious. They seem to be really caught. They're handling him with kid gloves, and that's not a big deal right now at all. I don't want to sound any alarm bells or anything like that. But I'm always interested to see kind of how they work these guys in. If he continues playing this thing slow, you could see him going three or four innings early in the season and ramping their way up with it. So I I would say that I'm more likely to see three hitters with at least 30 home runs for that reason. Yeah. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. More likely to win their division next season. The Chargers, 
in the AFC West or the Cardinals in the NFC West? Chargers or the Cardinals more likely to win their division next Man, year? I don't like this game. <laughs> Look at the AFC West because I. Well, you've I, got the Chiefs. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> I was like, that's not going to happen. Don't worry about the Raiders or the Broncos. That's no. That's the team to and, beat. And, and honestly, I don't know if the NFC West is going to happen because I'm not so sold on Kyler Murray. And Stafford with the Rams, you can't argue it. Seattle with Russ, if he's still there with DK. Again, I'd love to say neither, but no, we can't do that. I'll say the Cardinals. Because at least I feel like there's an opening there when you got Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins. It's not going to freaking happen for the Chargers unless Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill all can't play. I'm actually going to say the Chargers. I really okay. like Justin Herbert at quarterback. He's amazing. I, I'm i telling you, he's going to be the best quarterback to come out of that draft. I, I think I agree with that. So... I'm going to say Chargers. Who was the other QB in that draft? Joe draft? Burrow and Tua. Burrow and Tua. Herbert's love, better than Burrow? I love Burrow, Ooh. too, but he's got an injury to come back from, which scares me. And Herbert stepped in legitimately five minutes if before If you were kickoff. doing a redraft of the league right now, like everybody, you're playing Madden, Madden 21, and you're taking the number two or three pick, because we know Patrick Mullen's going one. After that. Where's Justin Herbert go? Because he, he probably goes top three. I think I'd still take Joe before I would take Justin. Really? Yeah. I would wow. go Mahomes one. And then I'd probably go Watson two. I might go Wilson three. Wilson's age would probably yeah. be the differentiating factor I still think he could play yeah, another I'm building five a franchise, But if I'm building a franchise, I want a guy young and cost control. Herbert might have 15. Yeah. That's true, but I think I Herbert's Herbert still young. I, Herbert's still young and still growing. At least with Wilson, I know what I have. But in, with whatever game we're playing, more likely to happen. I think more likely to happen, Chargers no, would win is, the AFC sure? West. Are we sure? I have no idea. Uh, I would say Chargers to win the you AFC the West. Absolute worst. <laughs> are we sure? Absolute worst. I would say them to win the AFC West because let's be honest, if Mahomes was to get hurt, like it, with that scenario, I think they could sneak in and win. If Stafford got hurt, there's still Wilson. If Wilson got hurt, there's still Stafford. So there's more. Yeah, but, you'd but have Russell, to have more injuries than you, you have would more teams Chiefs. you got to get through. Yeah, True. But Wilson fell off. Wilson's doesn't have the track record of just running away with it. Neither does Matt Stafford. I mean, Patrick Mahomes has the track record of running away with it. I'm going with Tanner on this. Oh, God. I think it's more likely that the Chargers win the AFC West than the Cardinals win the NFC West. you guys were the football guys. And this is because of the coach. I'm looking at the coach as much as the quarterback because I do like Kyler. I think there's some red flags there, but I do like Kyler. I like Herbert a little bit more, frankly. And I really kind of like Brandon Staley. I think he might be a really good coach. The former Rams defensive coordinator, he's a former quarterback himself, so he brings a little bit of an offensive mind to the defensive side of the ball. He Everything he said this offseason, he's saying all of the right things to get me convinced that he's going to do some interesting stuff with the Chargers. So I'm going to take the Chargers. I'm out on Cliff Kingsbury. I loved the hire. It has not worked out. So I think I'm going to go with the Chargers over the Cardinals. Boo. Staley shocked the hell out of me with the with what he did with the Rams defense. I love the hire for the Chargers, too. So another reason to add on to mine. You guys say you're football, guys. 65780 is the air comfort service text slide for more likely to happen. More likely to happen for the Cardinals. They win the Central and get bounced in the first round. Or they are the last team in. So they're a wild card team but they make a run to the World Series. 
more likely that they win the division and lose their first playoff series or they get in as a wild card team and make a run to the World Series. It's only one wild card, right? Mm-hmm. No, wait, two. Oh, wait, yeah, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because if they're the... I got... Never mind, yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, I'll say more likely that they they win it and get bounced in the first round. I agree. I don't know if there's... I just... I don't know who the... The matchup in the first round, if you win the Central, is going to be one of those wild card teams. Which like, could be the Padres. Which could be the Padres, which means you're getting bounced. And even that second wild card team could be a Braves or a Nationals. And I think they could also give the Cardinals fits in a series. So, yeah, I, I would say get bounced. I think that as well. I don't see two teams coming out of the Central. That's I don't either. It's going to be really hard for this division to be able to get two teams in. I mean, you've got the Mets, the Phillies, the Nationals, the Braves, and the NL East. All of those teams are, are legitimate playoff contenders at a minimum. And then you've got the Dodgers and the Padres in the West. How are you fitting in two teams from the Central? It seems well, difficult if, to me. If, if the Cardinals don't win the NL Central, that's because the Brewers just went above and beyond. And I think if it does come down to a wild card, one is the Padres, but two, the Cardinals could compete with the Nationals, the Mets, the Phillies for one of those wild card spots. I just don't see that happening. That's a good point. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we're going to catch up with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. What does he want to see from this team as they try to navigate at least the next week or two without so many important guys on this roster? Talk to Kerbs about it. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by the voice of the blues. Chris Kerber joining us here on the show. Kerbs always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Brandon, I'm doing good. How are you guys today? Doing very well. So hopefully the blues start doing a little bit better as well. We had a little bit of a pep talk earlier today. Curbs, what what needs to change right now? Given, I mean, no nobody's going to judge them harshly, given how many guys are out. But what do they need to do to be able to overcome the losses that they've had in terms of the personnel? Well, I, I think your first off, your your younger players are going to have to advance themselves a little bit. That's important, and and I guess the, to your question, it's it's how do they do that? And and I think the two things that Craig Berube talked about the most are. Um, quicker decisions with the puck and more decisiveness. And it's when you hesitate with that puck that that problems got. You hesitate at the blue line, your teammate goes offside. There, there was a play the other day where Sammy Blay looked like he was going to put the puck in. Braden Shen had a head of steam. I mean, mm-hmm. if there was a forward back, somebody was going to get pasted. But Sammy makes a move at the blue line rather than dumps it in. So when we talk about predictability to your teammates and accountability, that's what we're talking about. Braden is expecting that puck to go in for the system that they play, right? And 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 it didn't. So um, Zach Sanford, it's at the end of a really long shift. You know what is it? A, a couple of games ago, end of a, like the defense had gotten caught out there in the second period for two minutes, right? And he's instead of just chipping it out and hoping you might be able to get one guy off. He tries to make a move with it, goes back to Justin Falk, who's wiped, and, and the turnover costs you a goal right at the end of a period. So the, those decisions have just got to be made more decisively and better awareness. And like Zach Sanford referenced that when he met with the media, too, I believe, yesterday on it. So to me, I think that's what I'm looking for today is even if it's ugly, just quick, decisive decisions, 
that make the game easier for your teammates. Curbs, I remember talking with Sanford last season, and he talked about how he does struggle with confidence in season, which is kind of why you see that up and down play from him. I'm curious because we saw it from the morning skate today, Sanford skating with Oscar Sundquist, Blaze skating with O'Reilly and Perron. Do you feel like it's more beneficial for Sanford to play with an Oscar Sundquist because he's kind of Mr. Fix-It for Craig Berube to try and get his game going? Or do you think it would be more beneficial to put him back with a Ryan O'Reilly or a David Perron? The the problem is is with the amount of ice time that you have to log when you are uh, on that line with O'Reilly and Perron and so many defensive assignments that if the confidence isn't there and you're made the kind of mistakes that he's made that have, I mean, literally three of his four key turnovers in the last two games have turned into goals, right? Yeah. And sometimes that's just the way it goes, but my God, can that snowball on you? I think you see Sammy Blay up there because much like, you know, much like with Ivan Barbashev, he just wants a little more speed and just to go get the puck. Now it's up to Sammy to do that. Sammy's got to get in on the forecheck, use that body, and get that puck free for those other two guys. So I think it is more, less about Zach Sanford and more about the personnel and the, and the style of play that he needs on that line with Perron and O'Reilly right now. We're talking to Chris Kerber, voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, one thing that we've kind of been harping on today, and I would love to get your thoughts on, is the power play because with so many guys out and the depth really being tested for this team, it seems to me, or at least my hypothesis on this would be that the power play becomes that much more important in these games without some of the personnel that they would like to have. Do you view it that way? Is is the power play going to become even that much more important over the next week or two? Uh, to me, that could be the difference in whether or not you're getting an extra point by a game going into overtime or whether you're losing a game, and we've even seen that in the last couple of games. The power play could have tied it two games ago. It didn't do it. Power play could make a difference, and it's not. And look, even with the personnel that's out, you still have plenty more personnel that, that, that should be able to handle the power play. Um, the, the power play is a real enigma right now for this hockey team, and guys are feeling it a little bit. I think then because they're, because they're pushing a little bit more, that top unit might be extending it from about a minute five to a minute 20, and only leaving 20 more seconds, 30 more seconds for the other unit after a line change. Then they try to force it just to make something happen, and that play never works. I mean, rarely do you get lucky. So uh, without a doubt, the focus right now on how you get through, say, the next four weeks of hockey, because you've got some long-term injuries, right? I mean, that power play could make all the difference in the world because when you've got the lineup that the Blues have right now, yeah, you do have some ability to put the puck in the net, but you're not as deep on the goal-scoring side as you used to be, and a power play can be a huge difference. Now, having said that, Brandon, you got to earn the power play. Like, you've got to play hard enough, and you've got to hold the other team in the zone long enough to earn that of those power plays, and, and that's going to be hard to do against this L.A. team tonight. Curbs, we uh, we had this conversation on the fourth period, and I really enjoyed it with Darren Pang. And, and I'm curious to get your thoughts deeper on this. You know, right now, if you, if if you look at the team struggles, it just seems like guys are trying to do too much for their line mates. Like it seems like there's guys out there that that care so much about their teammates that they're trying to overcompensate rather than just performing at the level that Craig Berube wants them to. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a tight group. I mean, this is a group that cares. But, I mean, and I, I, I hate the phrase, oh, no excuses. Well, this isn't an excuse. This is just reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the look at the players that are not in your lineup. Look at the five of your top nine that are not in your lineup. Look who that is. You know, no organization is deep enough to overcome that. Look How at the money, Curbs. Look, look at the money that is on the IR right now, you know? 
Well, yeah, there's there, there's that, but 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 even just but even look look at your team defensively right now, from from your 2019 Stanley Cup team a year and a half ago, right, a season and a half of hockey ago, right. You've got uh, there's there's no Bowmeister, there's no Petrangelo, there's no Joel Edmondson, right. Colton Pareko is injured. Now you don't have Carl Gunnarsson. Five of your five of your top seven, five of the seven, right. So I talked to Craig Berube about this today, you know, and, and he said, look, it is, it's a totally different group, but we have to get that group to figure it out, to play within the system. And, and that's the key. So, and, and Craig said something else today that, that goes in line to what you just asked about Alex. And, and that is the fact that um, it, the structure and the system is more important now than ever. You have to play. If you play the system properly, you will help your teammates out more because of that accountability and reliability. If you try to go rogue and you don't get into the right spot, or you, you then then you, you could mess it up for all four other guys on the ice. So when you're shorthanded like they are, when you've got some inexperience like they have, and when you've got guys whose skill is just not at the level of the ones that are out of the lineup, man, you've got to dumb the game down a little bit, keep it simple, and play smart hockey. And, and look, it, it may not be pretty hockey just to clear it out of the zone and regroup, but you might have to do a lot of that in the next little while just to maintain and be safe. And, and I'm going to tell you guys, the one thing that you know you have is you know you have a goaltender in Jordan Bennington, and that could be the great equalizer for the Blues over the next little while. Curbs, I did want to ask you, because the Blues have certainly had their fair share of struggles at home this season, and this is their last home game for at least a couple of weeks now. What do you think has gone into some of those home struggles? Is there anything that you can pinpoint that you've looked back on that's been a theme throughout these issues? Uh, the, the only thing, I, I don't think it has anything so much to do with home or road. I, 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 un, unless, unless the focus of some players is less when they're at home. I mean, and that's the one thing I don't know. I don't know how you answer that. I don't know how you even do sure. that, right? Because to me, that would be the only difference. You're just, I mean, look, you, you probably win two of those last three games, you know, which is more decisive play with the puck and not turning it over three times in your own zone. I mean, and, and so if, if the focus is, if a, if a lack of focus to detail as, as Zach Sanford referred to it yesterday is, is an issue because you're home, maybe that's the difference, but I, I don't know so much that it's home versus road, but you're right. I mean, there, there's a definite difference in the records here. I don't know if it's home or a road, but what, whatever's causing the lack of, the lack of sharpness on the ice, that that's your factor. And, and man, I wish I had an answer to that one. I don't have an answer to that one. Curbs, I want to go back to Bennington. Do you think we're in a situation now where maybe we're going to see a lot of Jordan Bennington over this next couple of weeks because he does give you the best opportunity to win games? Well, you know, you've got some back-to-backs, and so you know you're going to need to use Billy Huso there. I, I think what we've seen, even with Jordan Bennington, too, is you, you've got to make sure that he gets a decent amount of rest when it's possible, you know, because – when, when his game will suffer, it'll suffer because of the fatigue. Um, you know, I, I, I agree with Panger on this. We talked a lot about this during camp. Like, we, we still think that, you know, Billy Huso is going to have to get you somewhere in that 20 to 25 points this season as your backup goaltender. And, and, and I don't think that the situation with the injuries up front necessarily would change the coach's philosophy on how they're using those guys right now. You're going to need Billy to get sharp and be sharp and to play sharp in some games and win you some games. So I wouldn't put it all on, on Jordan yet. I don't think that they're at that point. I mean, let's face it, they're still sitting right at the top of the division, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, But I do think it's something that you'll have to keep an eye on 
and, and, and even in there now. But, I mean, Billy's going to have to be even sharper than, than, than he's been because the team's going to need him to be. And, I, again, I, I still think you're going to need that 20 to 25 points from the second guy. Last question for Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs kind of moving forward. I know we've got the game tonight, but starting this weekend, you have a California road trip with San Jose, Anaheim, and L.A., when you look at how beat up the Blues are right now, I, I'm I'm always curious about the matchups and how much of an impact that has on these games. How do you see that going? Does that change anything for the Blues with their opponents being able to match up with their forward lines and their defensive pairings? Uh, yeah, I think it'll help them a little bit. But, you know, I think what the injuries have done has put those teams a little bit more on the level with the Blues. So, I mean, that that's where you're just going to have to do some out-competing and things. Uh, I, I don't see – I just don't see San Jose – although if they do get Carlson back, it could help a little bit. But, you know, I, I just – I see the threat of those three really being the L.A. team or, or, or the Kings, the same team we're seeing tonight. And that's just because they're playing with a real good organization and structure to their game uh, right now under under Todd McClellan. Um, so you hope maybe they can go out there and take advantage of a, of a Anaheim team that has struggled a little bit because you, man, Brandon, that road trip, you're gone for 11 days, the longest one of the year. You're coming home for two, which is a back to back against Vegas. And then you're gone for another seven or eight. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of your season success hinges right now on uh, pretty much the next two weeks, uh, three, two and a half weeks of hockey. It's a tough stretch and they're doing it without some of their top guys. But if ever there was a team that can do it, it's this one. Curbs, all the best to you, man. We look forward to talking with you again soon. And I will certainly be talking with you plenty next week. Talk to you later, my man. Look forward to it, bud. We'll talk to you next week, and uh, we'll see everybody tonight at the rink. Thanks. Absolutely. Sounds good. That is Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Man, that is when Kerb says that, he's right. I mean, you look, man, you, all the way. It's basically a month. It's almost exactly a month between now and the end of the Minnesota series on March 25th. They have three games at home tonight and a two-game set against Vegas back-to-back -back March 12th and March 13th. It's good because they play better on the road. Six and two this season compared to, what, three, four, and two mm -hmm. at home? As really good, the fact that you're on the road that much, and it's also a bad thing because if you look at it, I think after that stretch, you only have two games left against the Kings, or maybe it's three games left against the Kings. You'll have three games against after the that Sharks. Stretch, you have zero games against the Kings remaining the rest of the year, and then and you'll zero have games against the Sharks. Everything left. You'll is, have two more against the Ducks, I think, and then basically the rest of the season is one against Arizona, Colorado, and Vegas. Yep. Yeah, You've and, got, Minnesota. and Minnesota. Minnesota. You've got some tough matchups coming up. But so. you'll have guys back. You'll be healthier by then. It might benefit the Blues. That's the thing. As Curb said, this could determine the outcome of the season, and it really comes down to can they stay afloat? Yeah, if they can stay afloat. When this team's healthy, they can beat anybody on their schedule. They can't. They are as good as anybody in the league, and I firmly stand by that. Well, they've shown it. They're just they're not healthy right now, and so you've got to – if you can go around 500 through the next month – that, that's where the goal should be set. Not for, not inside of that locker room, but for us kind of analyzing the team on the outside looking in, I think that's where our sight should be set. You stay top five in the division, you're fine once the once you get to that point. But if you're last three, you got problems. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll cross things over with the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time to 
now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. from the show today be sure to check out the podcast page it's 101 espn.com you can check it out also on the free 101 espn app we continued our top 20 most important cardinals for 2021 who's today number 18 was hennesis cabrera actually what do you think about that let's let's dive into that who's uh it's presented by i promise by the way the podcast is love i promise it's great yeah screen shield pro screen shield team picks them up I do we have some kind of promo code or something for that yeah bt okay definitely use that that's a beautiful thing um so i I heard 20 the other day 20 was justin williams 19 19? was edmundo sosa so kind of the last two guys on the position player side of things Hennessy Cabrera is a really interesting player to me, PT. You've got an unbelievable strikeout rate. The dude's stuff is crazy. It's nasty. He walks a lot of batters, though. In the National League last year, among all pitchers that threw at least tw- all, all uh, relievers rather that threw at least twenty innings, he had the second highest walk rate in the league. That's not what you're looking for. It's not ideal. What? Do you, what is? What is Hennessy Cabrera? Well, I'll just tell you this. I think that at the end of the year, if you redo your list of most important Cardinals, I think that he's going to shoot up it. You think? Yeah, I, I do, man. I think that he has got, with the strikeout rate that you're talking about, and you're right, he needs to control the strike zone a, a little bit more than he does. But I see him being the lefty that they go to in spots. Like, I, I think that he's the guy. And, and who knows? Like, hopefully Andrew Miller has a good year this year. But, I mean, he, he just got off a bout with COVID. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully. Hopefully there's nothing long lasting that comes with that. He said he was very fortunate, didn't really have a, pretty much asymptomatic, but who knows, right? Uh, but Hennessy's Cabrera is the guy for me that if I got the bases loaded and I need a punch out from a lefty, that's the guy that I'm going to. His breaking ball is flat out filthy. Webb doesn't profile as that kind of guy. Now, Webb, he gets so much soft contact and he's one of the guys where you look and you watch him pitch and you say, how on earth, how on earth are people not barreling him up? But he hides the ball so well. His, you know, his off speed looks just like his fastball. He's got the good spin rates for everybody mm-hmm. that's into that. But it does, you know, allow the ball to ride. But I think that Hennessy's Cabrera is going to be a huge part of what they're doing this year. He's going to factor in the back end of the pen, and I, I think that he's got a chance to be dominant. I'm with you, and that I had him a little higher on my list. I think I had him at 16. The way we did it was all of us put together our top 20s, and then we kind of averaged it out to to decide where these players are. Uh, the the thing that I'm maybe most interested in, even like looking beyond this year is what his role is going to be in the future because he started a couple of games last year it was more of like that opener role but they have talked about yep. with him and Reyes and Gant getting all of those guys kind of stretched out a little bit I I wonder what the future looks like for him in this organization because I think elsewhere you probably see him try it out as a starter. I wonder if because he's with the Cardinals, he does end up profiling like, profiling, like you're saying, as kind of the high leverage lefty reliever for him. That's what I think. I think within the organization, because, look, there's a couple of lefties that the organization looks at uh, and have them above Hennessy's Cabrera when you're talking about the future. Zach Thompson, Matthew Liberatore, obviously, are those two names when you look at what the future looks like. But I do think that there is value in having a guy that you can stretch out. They, they can give you multiple innings. Uh, I 
I, I mentioned him a second ago, Hennessy Cabrera at the back end of the bullpen. Uh, that could be a shutdown guy with the bases loaded. Well, mm-hmm. he could also do that and then pitch you another inning or, or maybe even give you more. I mean, he could give Andrew you. Andrew Miller. Yeah, right. Like he was you, with the you've Indians. got that guy, that same rule kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I do think the, the thing you brought up first, that walk rate is something that he's really going to have to harness. By the way, that walk rate is something that Alex Reyes is going to have to harness because I think they had the same exact walk rate last year at 6.4 uh, per nine, right? So both of those guys can be dominant, but they got to put themselves in positions where they're just not in trouble. Now, there are sometimes you're pitching around a guy. There are sometimes you're not giving in. These are all things that don't pop up on a stat sheet. They pop up when you're watching the ball games. But uh, I like uh, I like Hennessy's Cabrera. I like his game. I just want to see more consistency. BT, what's coming up today on the fast lane, my man? Man, we'll break down everything that's going on in Jupiter. Jamie's going to tell us how the Blues are getting back on track, and we're going to talk a little college hoops today. Okay, three oh, o'clock. God, no. <laughs> don't do that. Three o'clock. <laughs> don't even mention there. There was a game that was played last night in Columbia. Nobody watched. No, it didn't no, happen. No. It didn't count in the standings. No, 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 not that one at all. We're going to talk to a local kid that went to Texas. We're going to talk to Courtney Ramey oh, today. Oh, good, yeah. Courtney Ramey great. today, 3 o'clock. Big win last night over KU, which fans should be happy about yeah. around here. That was here. the game that I watched. Yeah, it was a good game, right? Overtime winner. Uh, they won it by three, but we'll talk to Courtney Ramey today. Webster Grove product uh, at 3 o'clock. Looking forward to that. So glad you're not talking Mizzou basketball. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Uh. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Powered by I Promise.